This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, you win? Order now on the McDonald's app, and you can also get rewards points delivered too, so that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Welcome to the Chelsea Fancast, fueled by Guinness, powered by Celery, the show that is more sinner than saint. Now, at times it felt rather frustrating against Southampton on Saturday in what turned out to be a 1-0 win for Chelsea. But that belies the reality of a thorough battering handed out to the Saints. If it had not been for Fraser Forster giving a passable impersonation of Lev Yashin, it would surely have been a rout. Now, whether this had anything to do with the, uh, the pace and interplay of the three-men attack of Pedro, Hazard and William is a moot point. What is for certain is that the, this attacking setup and wins against stubborn teams like Huddersfield and Southampton proves is that Antonio Conte has options when Morata is unfit and Batshuayi is unfancied. And tonight's show is called Three Men Went to Mo. The Chelsea Fancast number 408. And on this very show tonight, we have, as always, the wonderful, uh, thoroughly warmed up Mr. Jonathan Kidd. My dander is up, Chich. My dander is His well and truly up. up. Lovely to be on the show with such eminent guests, as always. Well, lovely to have you on the show, Jonathan, and especially as your dander is up. There is nothing more spectacular on the Chelsea fancast than a fancast when Jonathan's dander is well and truly up. And listeners out there, I can vouch for that. It is. Uh, Now, also on the show is uh, one of my great and uh, great buddies, my drinking buddy at the game on Saturday, Mr. Dan Silver. Good afternoon. Good evening, in fact, everybody. How are you doing? Mm, Good, mate. Good good to see you on Saturday. It was a nice little drink up afterwards uh, celebrating Martin's birthday. No, 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 really, really, kind of, really good day. Drinks pre, drinks after, and the lovely guys from Texas as well. Top, top guys. Mm. Yes, of course, we have the Texas Blues in the house too. Always nice to see the, the, uh, the, the chaps and the chapesses from over the pond. Anyway, uh, sadly, somebody who uh, is over a different pond, a smaller pond, really, uh, and somebody who used to be my neighbour in Gate Seventeen. But as always, we're both delighted and honoured to have Mr. Joe Tweeds on the show. Hey, Tid, yeah, great to be on as always. Mm. And how how is Copenhagen? Good, cold, but good. 
Mm. I bet it's cold, mate. Yeah, it's pretty cold here, but I bet it's colder over there. Right, don't worry, people. We'll all be warm. Well, as we know, Jonathan is entirely warmed up. We will be warming up as we're going along, and we hope to keep you lot out there if you are, in fact, cold warmed up during the show, which tonight we'll be asking whether three up front and a full seat is a viable option to break down stubborn Premier League teams. Uh, in part two, we gave St. Marcus of Alonso due credit for another top performance and a cracking free kick. Uh, and, and we're going to ask, should Louise stay or should he go now? Uh, in part three, we look back at a top night Oop North in Huddersfield and look forward to our League Cup quarterfinal against Bournemouth on Wednesday night. And in part four, we've got loads of emails, as always, uh, to read out, including a rant about Conte and a ticking off for Jonathan Kidd about rumour mongering. Indeed. Now, uh, before we get on to the... Mm, boo! Uh, now, before we get on to all of that, um, I should just say uh, a very warm and hearty welcome to the many listeners in uh, Mixler tonight, as always. Amongst them, we have Prad, a different kind of blue up north, in fact. Uh, the lovely Jonathan Ellis, who writes for us every week. Uh, Bob Uzre, Mr. Kurt, the lovely Tony, who we were drinking with on Saturday. Aussie signed my broken leg. Uh, Bonnie Rig Blues and many, many, many more. Good to see you all in here tonight. There's a blue in Oz. I should, I suppose, Jonathan, and I should be magnanimous enough to say congratulations for stuffing the shit out of England in the ashes. That's all I'm going to say about it. That's it. it I'm, I'm over it already. All right. Right. Now, um, if you want to join the lovely folks in Mixler on a Monday evening who are having fun, including Chuckles the Cabby, who's greeted us with his usual welcome. I can't repeat it on air. Uh, don't forget, you can uh, listen to it every Monday at 7 o'clock by going to Mixler, mixlr.com forward slash Chelsea hyphen fancast. And as I said, you can join in the uh, the chat by posting on the live chat page. Of course, you can always tweet us at Chelsea Fancast whenever you like. Now, uh, after this short break, we'll be talking about the football. Well, uh, as the uh, the uh, keen listeners will know, I've entitled this show Three Men Went to Mo." Uh, not least because I was a bit stuck for a pithy title this week, so I thought, well, that'll do. But, I mean, in many respects, it, it, it's highly appropriate because, uh, uh, you know, for two games running, uh, whether Morata's fully fit or not, I suspect not quite, uh, Conte has chosen to start with William Hazard and Pedro as his, as his three up front, really with Hazard as a kind of a false number nine, Pedro and William operating as two number tens. But I think, you know, for me, chaps, uh, I mean, it was a bit of a weird match because, I mean, it was 1-0 and a bit frustrating on one hand. But on the other hand, I thought we played some absolutely dazzling football. And those three's movement, pace and interplay was very, very impressive. And I like the fact that, uh, you know, Conte was saying in the presser that he felt it was an option for them. And and, I, and in a sense, I can understand that, you know, it, we, we've seen so many games this season where it's been really frustrating to break teams down who part the bus. And, and and I'm kind of sharing his view on the fact that that might be a, a strategy to employ. And it certainly gives us options, I think, Jonathan. Well, that's what we talked about last week, wasn't it, before the uh, the, 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 mm. the, the two games, was that, that when he brings this lot on 
with with only ten minutes to go, and they like at <clears> Liverpool, <throat> and they run it. You think why doesn't he, and at West Ham why doesn't he bring them on at the beginning? And he brings them on. It's almost as if he was listening to the show because um, he br- he brings them on at the beginning for Huddersfield and for Southampton, and they play out of their skin because uh, William seems to be a happy bunny playing from the beginning, and um, and and Pedro's great, you know. So you just think. Well, let's go three goals up and then, you know, and then give everybody else a go or alternatively then defend. And I think I think he's been missing a trick. Um, though I think they ran out of energy a bit in the second half. And I think Morata came on and it and the team looked more complete again because because he, he, he gave them some more energy. But he, because he is obviously much more of a focal point um, for the attack. But uh, um, I think they I think they played brilliantly together. And as you, you, if you, you you've so obviously said, the Forster played out of his skin. Um uh, yeah. he's a, and he's a yeah. huge, huge unit. But no, I, I thought I think um, um, I think this is a this is a fantastic way of playing. And as you're going to get onto later on, it it, it means unfortunately that Fabregas is uh, it comes on again as a sub. But for me, um, this is this is the best option playing against uh, these parking the bus teams. And it was was said on Match of the Day last night. There was a row, wasn't there, between. Um, um, Watch his face. Uh, I can't remember either of them. Just goes to show where, the, where my mind is. Um, um, the two presenters um, were talking about how um, uh, parking the bus is quite the norm, and I think that's what the you've got to make it as difficult as possible. And, and Southampton did it. They played two banks of of, of five and uh, hardly had a shot on goal. I think Austin's was the first shot, wasn't it, in the in the seventy second minute or something when he Pretty came much. on, and he should have scored because um, that was just a, a lapse in concentration. But otherwise. Uh, Teams are just going to sit back because, and, and I think to me that is the best option for us um, because it looks so lively. And he also um, beautifully, as you, you've suggested, brings Alonso in, who I thought was brilliant on uh, the weekend. Um, uh, mm. uh, so uh, yeah, I'm, 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 um, I'm. Oh, what pisses me off as well is, is we've got. You, you say three men went to Mo once again. Now the all the the press, the media are going on at how you know what's it, the Liverpool Fab Four or something they're calling them, aren't they? And you have to keep remembering Liverpool yeah. are below us in the league. And it doesn't really matter how many goals they score. They just ship a lot as well. So they should start calling this lot <laughs> a team. You know, it, 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 it give them a give them a name. And I think three men went to Moses. Well, really to be, really to be fair, I mean, talk, t- talking, of, talking of match of the day. I mean, I didn't see it last night, funny enough, but I, d- I did watch it on Saturday. Amazingly, I was just about sober enough to watch it, which is frightening. Uh, but... Um, Ian Wright said that Chelsea are doing good stuff at the moment, so we should be thankful. Yeah, they for are. That. They are. That's true. Um, Dan, yeah. Dan. I mean, you know, Jonathan. Jonathan's liking it. Um, I, I think I would go a bit further, saying that you know, I, I think the trick about the Premier League now is you've got to be adaptable. And, and I wrote a blog for Yahoo, pretty much fleshing all of that out. But you know, I, I think what the game epitomised for me was that he started with the, the, the three up front. Uh, and yes, he did bring Fabregas and Morata on. And, but I think we need, you know, what I think we have now is options. Whereas I think we, I mean, I don't think we were that critical of, of Conte and the team, but we did grumble a bit about the fact that they were a bit one-dimensional at times and we did struggle to break teams down. And perhaps the fact that he's now got choices, although he seems to have chosen not to choose Batshuayi, but we do have options, I think. And that, that bodes well, does it not? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, there are people, you know, Compared about you know lack of squad depth, we've got a very, we've got a decent squad. You know, players being left out. I thought it was great three because wing backs get involved. Sonny was attacking as a five. Kante seems to be playing in a more advanced role because he was quite you know quite aggressive going forward, and it's all really really good. And I think in fairness, we're only I think four points behind where we were last season. It's just that City have been so yeah. bloody good that 
you know, everyone's complaining, but we've had eight wins out of ten. It's it's not bad at all. I mean, it's too, you know, too critical. And, you know, the media are going crazy over City because they've had six good months. What would Pity do? But I think it's really good. You know, it shows Conte's, you know, got the, the brains as a coach to change, change games on a match-by-match basis. Um, if we're going to be critical, I'd say we need to be more clinical in front of goal, I think. I think, we, you know, we miss chances. Well, do you really? Because, I mean... Well, let, let, let's let's talk about that because I, I think it was that was easy to say. I mean, twenty four shots on goal, eight on target, and we only scored one goal. And I think that's too simplistic to say we were we were not clinical, we were not ruthless enough. Because I think actually, you know, really we were we we were very unfortunate to find not for the first time it has to be said this season a goalkeeper who was on superb form. And just to kind of move it on a little bit, Dan, and I'll, I'll bring I'll bring uh, Joe in on this. One thing we talked about on the show last week. In fact, I got very aerated and annoyed about the fact that Chelsea never seemed to bloody shoot. You know, they just piss around on the 18-yard box and do ticka-tacka. And they need to crack one off and a shot. And Joe, I was delighted to see that they were shooting on sight. I mean, that was pleasing. For me, it was pleasing. The fact that Fraser forced to stop them was unfortunate, but at least they were having a go. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably probably epitomised by the the change in, in Eden Hazard over the past maybe, I don't know, five to ten games. I don't think I've seen him take as much responsibility to actually have the final shot rather than play the final pass. And, you know, maybe not so much uh, against Southampton, but definitely against Huddersfield. I mean, he was, he was, you know, th- that kind of role that I probably, I think everyone has wanted to see in terms of the development of his game. He's actually starting to, to shoot more, to take more chances. And I think when you get your, your kind of focal point of your attack, your best player starts to have the confidence to just start shooting forever. I think it kind of transcends through the team. And uh, yeah, I mean, Forster was in, was in absolutely fantastic form, um, quite unlucky, I think, not to at least be uh, be, be sort of two goals, maybe three. Um, but yeah, I mean, just just to sort of echo the thoughts of, of Dan and Jonathan there, I think the this is the first time, particularly with this this shape, that I think Conte has found a genuine alternative to playing with a target man. And I think that probably even even going back to last season, I think now we have a genuine alternative which could work um, even against teams like City potentially. I think if we play with Hazard, uh, Pedro, and, and William. Um, I just think it, it puts us on the front foot a bit more. I think my only real kind of critique of Conte this season is when I think sometimes he's a bit reticent to to, to almost take the handbrake off the team at times. And sometimes we, when we're playing this three-five-two shape, it's quite narrow, it's quite static, it's quite uh, not not painful to watch. But sometimes it, it's very predictable where the ball's well, going to go. It's quite defensive. It's exactly, quite defensive, yeah. Joe. Isn't yeah. it? that's the point. It's cautious. And now, now with the, this sort of shape, particularly on Saturday. You know, Moses and, and Alonso were joining the attack, but you had Kante and Bakayoko both kind of kind of dovetailing. So we actually were throwing six people forward rather than two. And in some games this season, we have genuinely only had Morata and Hazard as kind of the main threats to the opposition. Now, Southampton, we're throwing six players forward. Um, and I think, you know, to, to, to break down buses, sometimes you've, you've got to batter down the door. And okay, you know we can always look at the early goal and 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 and, and that, those kind of things. But I think the more players we throw forward, particularly at home. You know, if we have good enough, you know, Aspilicueta, Christensen, whoever's going to be playing at the back, they're good enough to to stop a counter attack. Play a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of uh, not gung ho, but a, you know, with a little less uh, kind of caution and just just attack teams. And I think what what we're seeing now, particularly Huddersfield and Southampton, is that that teams can't really live with the movement of the front three. And I think that that's really for Conte um, going to be, be quite, something that's quite crucial going forward. Yeah, agree, So, Dan, I mean, you know, Dan, 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 do you yeah. think, uh, do you still hold by the fact that we were a bit wasteful? Because, I mean, I really do stand by this. I thought we were wasteful against West Ham, but I don't think we were wasteful on Saturday. 
Okay, I mean, I'm kind of devil's advocate. If you look at the amount of games where goalkeepers have a worldie, is that because our finishing is not good enough or or what? Because we've had how many games we've played over the years, even going back, where goalkeepers have been absolutely phenomenal. So are we perhaps not as strong as finishing? I don't know. I mean, this ultimately won the game 1-0. Yes, we would like more goals and yes, Foster to have a worldie, but maybe we, we could go two or three goals. You know, I, I hate you know, using City as an example, but they they regularly putting four, five, six, seven goals away every week, more or less, aren't they? I mean, they don't they don't they don't do one nils. Mm. So listen, it's not a question. Mm. It's just more like you know, perhaps we could be a bit more, you know, better finishers. Well, I mean, the reality is, Dan, and I'm sure Jonathan will will, will share this view as well, is that because they didn't manage to open them up more and score more goals, it remained 1-0. And, of course, we were all sitting there shitting a break that they were going to bloody equalise. Because whilst you, you know, whilst it stays at 1-0, Jonathan, you know, there's always the chance that they can get a fluky goal or a penalty or anything like that. And there is nothing more frustrating than that when you dominate a game. I mean, it didn't happen, so in a weird sense we shouldn't be talking about it. But that possibility existed, didn't it, J.K.? Well, Chid, you know, never having watched the, uh, the team for so long, <clears throat> I, I, of course hid below the parapet for the last five minutes of the game. <laughs> <laughs> As is always the, the case. <laughs> because, because, uh, because I immediately yeah. become Mr. Pessimist, you know, that's, it's, it's uh, yeah. you know, having seen it happen so often, you know, and the, the worst scenario, of course, is when you lose 2-1 at the end. And that was a, that was a kind of, that was the odd Ranieri moment that we used to have when he'd take most of the good players off for the last 10 minutes and just uh, when we were one nil up, I could never quite mm-hmm. understand that. But, um, uh, but yeah, oh, yeah. Ah, yeah, completely. And, um, and, and uh, that thing of sitting back, I don't get at all. I, re- I know he wants to give everybody a go, but uh, um, I mean, having said that, though, we ought really to have confidence in the defence because uh, um, Christ- we're going to go on to Christensen is great, isn't he? And, um, uh, and it's, we'll get um, on to him later. We'll get on yeah, to him. They look I mean, good. I, you know, I've, I'm, not, I'm not a great fan of Zappa Costa, so I found his coming on very peculiar. But um, uh, inevitably, I think if he's going to try and bring people on, there's going to be this, and it's 1-0. You're going to have the opposition go, going up a gear because they suddenly think they've got the opportunity. But we, 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 held, we held pretty firm. It was really unlikely. I like the fact that nearly all of the four minutes that he added on was spent in the corner. I thought that was really. In fact, in fact, <laughs> yes. below me, below me, Conte actually, um, when people when they were attacking, he actually pointed to the corner, right into the corner at the beginning of the uh, the time added on. And uh, I don't know what the corner is in Italian or whatever, but he but he, he could see him pointing, going yeah, corner, and uh, and that's where it went, and it went on and on and on. And I really mm. congratulated them because I thought yes. Yes, we're not having any attempt, no attempts at goal at all. Just let's just get the ball and out for throwing. Well, well, apart, apart from corners. apart from the fact that Will, apart from the fact that William never gets that, you know, Fabregas and whoever's trying to do a short, you know, keep it in the corner. In fact, that was my corner, uh, and I was shouting out, "Ooh, it's a corner, uh, Jonathan!" Well, thank, you, so, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I did I, as know, well. Perhaps we I were did, doing I it did. at the same time. But, uh, <laughs> well, that's, that would have been two of us then. But yes. I mean, the funny thing was that they were trying to keep it in the corner, and then William would get bored and try and create something. And yes. I, I kept on laughing at that. It did give me a bit of. I in fact shouted out. Chid, I mean, I bot- shouted out, "Oh, it's a short corner!" I said, "Oh no, it's a short oh. corner!" In fact, I kept shouting out. Oh, I like that. Very droll. Um, look, the reality is, though, you know, I, I think, like, you know, look, I'm not trying to coat Dan off at all. I, I think, I think he's got a valid point. I mean, I, I was frustrated that we didn't score more, but. I generally didn't think we were wasteful. I think we created a lot, and on another day we would have absolutely walloped them. Um, the interesting thing, I picked up a stat, actually. I think Young Hion uh, picked it up in, in the blog, what he wrote uh, after the game. 
on the Chelsea Fancast website. But he says that Chelsea have won all five games when Eden Hazard has played as the false number nine, as the falsey, scoring 14 goals. That's pretty good going, isn't it, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure if that goes back to uh, the sort of the, the fated Di Matteo kind of experiment, but I think under Conte, that definitely, uh, that definitely would make sense. Um, I think, again, it, it's, it uses him at his very best. It puts him at the very, very crux of the team, make him central. Yeah. I think where you've got Willian and, and Pedro, um, it gives Willian also the ability to play from the left. I think when Hazard plays, because that, that, that's Hazard's spot. I think we don't often see the William from Shakhtar, who, when we bought him, was very much a left winger who cuts in on his right foot and shoots. When we don't see that mm. as often, we're ha- mm. obviously when Hazard's playing there. So it gives William the ability, and I think it's no coincidence that when he's floating sort of over to the left-hand side, we're actually beginning to see the player that I think a lot of us have have maybe missed this season when he's tried to kind of you know sort of pretend he's even Hazard behind Morata in this more sort of three-five-two shape. But yeah, I, I think Hazard is. Uh, I just think he's improving uh, every single season. I think under Conte, he's become a little bit more tactically aware. You know, he's got this ability to kind of mm-hmm. drag centre-backs. And you're kind of in a position, I think, on 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 um, against Southampton, you saw both the kind of the holding midfield and the centre-back were really kind of confused with who was meant to be picking up and tracking him. I think the more yeah. he does that, you know, he's just dragging people out. And you've got, obviously, Pedro loves getting in behind William the same, Kante's breaking forward. I think it's just, he just causes so much confusion. And again, it was kind of another one of his performances. I think the, the hardest it was the same. No assists, no goals. So kind of, you know, the very dismissive kind of modern modern take on football is that that's not a good performance. But I thought he was excellent again and just very, very central to, to everything we're doing. Exactly, yeah. Mm. I thought I thought I had to say I mean I, I've I've always liked William I, I I really don't understand why I don't understand why any players get grief from supporters to be honest but I particularly don't understand why William does I I think he's a fabulous player and I thought he was superb on Saturday I mean some of his you know the way he can take a player out just by the, a slight body swerve absolutely astonishes me and he's got so I mean people go on all the time about about Hazard's low center of gravity and the way that he can just kind of ghost past somebody he's got really quick feet. You know, William can do all of that, and I thought he was absolutely superb. And I've got a lot of man love. I've got a man crush on the Eli Wallach lookalike that is Pedro. I think he's another <laughs> superb player, and he played brilliantly uh, against Huddersfield, of course. And we will talk more about that, as we will be talking more about lots of things after the break. Uh, but in particular, uh, we are going to give a lot of huge man love to the George Michael lookalike. Uh, that that being as I've now decided to name him Saint Marcos of Alonso, uh, who I thought put a great, great performance. And uh, obviously he was the, the difference with a cracking free kick. Um, we're also going to pick up on the various uh, rumours, uh, Jonathan, not to mention you by name. Um, but uh, Louise is, uh, well, it's rumoured that Juventus and Real Madrid are, are, are sniffing around him uh, like people who sniff around things. Uh, so we'll, we shall talk about the veracity of those after this break. The only place for Chelsea fans. Footballfancast.com. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to Chidge and the boys on the Chelsea Football Fancast. Total nutters and proper Chelsea. Right, welcome back. I'm Stan for Chidge, and you're listening to the Chelsea Fancast. And on tonight's show, we've got the wonderful, as ever, Jonathan Kidd. Whoop, whoop, whoop. 
Uh, we've got the fantastic uh, Dan. Very actually, great, great, great drink up with uh, Dan on Saturday, and I, I often mention this, but it was really we had a great, we had a good laugh in the cock, didn't we? Mate? Yeah, it's good fun. It wasn't too busy. Nice people, good crowd. It was good fun. Mm. I really enjoyed mm. myself. It was lovely. We did. I did. Uh, I probably shouldn't have had that gin before I left, though. Yeah, but you bought that yourself, so. Mm. Yeah, I no, know. It's a stupid boy. But anyway, there we blame, go. Blame Martin. There we go. Martin, so, we can just, well, when in doubt, blame Martin, indeed. Yeah. And uh, happy birthday, Martin Wickham, for yesterday, of course. I mean, we wished it to him uh, on Saturday, but uh, Martin is, an, is is one of my favourite people at Chelsea, and uh, it was a delight to have a few drinks with him on Saturday. Uh, sadly, somebody we've not had drinks with uh, because he is in Copenhagen is the wonderful Joe Tweeds. But we have we have the second best thing. We've got him on the show tonight. <laughs> yeah, good evening, Josh. Good to have you on the show, as always, Joe. Right, now, uh, we've kind of done the old three men went to mow to death, but, I mean, the reality is we wouldn't have won that game had it not been for an absolutely superb uh, free kick from Marcus Alonso. And, and I mean, you know, I was talking about William getting a lot of grief earlier on. Um, it amazes me that Marcus Alonso gets a lot of grief, you know. Oh, well, he's, you know, he only gets a game because he's the only left wing back we've got. He's not that good. We should get somebody better. Blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, for Christ's sake, I mean, he, I think he's a quality player. Do you know what I like about him most? I think he pretty much every game puts in 100%. Uh, and I think, you know, on Saturday, that was absolutely a fine example of that. I mean, the number of shots he put in, tackles he put in, uh, I thought it was a superb performance. Absolutely, you know, the cherry on top being that fantastic free kick. Not the first free kick he scored uh, in a dead ball situation either, Jonathan, is it? No, he has uh, he scored several. Um, uh, I think the Spurs game beginning of the season was one, wasn't it, for example? Um, mm. But uh, what I loved about the free kick was that they were all going on about, oh, you know, Foster was on the wrong foot. And, you know, dear, he was he was a bit slow there and he was looking. He thought that uh, William was going to take it. They'd all set the... Yep. It was very cleverly exactly. done. Very cleverly done. Because William had the angle. He could only see William. He moved the wall across to the right. For, so it was... If William was attempting to bend it, he would just be able to tip the ball over. And lo and behold... Um, there's uh, there's Marcus just um, hitting it left foot round the other side and it goes in. It was uh, it was very well worked out and you know immensely accurate and it did that that really annoying thing of just dipping before the um, uh, just before it the bounce to just before he, he could possibly save it. So uh, absolutely superb free kick, wonderful. I mean, I, I was. Um, mm. I was completely blown away by it. I went, you know, I did that kind of thing of going, oh, God, God, look at that, what a God, you know, that kind of response, you know, which uh, which I love. I love when, when that happens, with the, when the team scores a good goal. I'm just sort of blown away and speechless. It was a wonderful free kick, wonderful. He, I agree, Chich, completely. He, he puts in so much effort and uh, I think annoyingly gets, um, he got, got a yellow card again for a kind of innocuous challenge. It's almost as if, He's a bit. He, he's so enthusiastic occasionally. I never think there's any malice in any of his challenges at all. And the other thing, thing yeah. I should interrupt there. He, I think he got booked for time wasting. I think it was a deliberate. Oh, was it? Is that yellow. what it was? Because yeah. oh, then he missed sorry, the, I didn't game. Get it, that was his fifth know. yellow, so he misses a Bournemouth game. So I think. Oh no, no, that's right. Yellow. No, of course he did. Sorry, yeah, he did. He yeah. was deliberate. That was deliberate, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely right. You were come right. On, you were come right. Come on, come on. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, because he was mucking about absolutely. But I just wanted to say something about. Yeah, I mean, how. Can how just, ironic, um, sorry, Jonathan, how ironic yeah. that, that we get one of our chaps booked for time-wasting when Southampton oh. were time-wasting from the first minute. Oh, God, and he didn't, the referee didn't add anything on. For God's sake, I just so despair of the, the lunacy of the... I mean, he was terrible, that referee again. 
I mean, for, you know, but that, the ridiculousness. You've got six substitutes in the second half. There's a two-minute injury and the time-wasting. It's 30 seconds per substitution. That's already six minutes. without. And there's more time-wasting, and it's four. You know, all right. So in the four minutes, at least, as I said, Chelsea went into the corner. Um, can I just say about Alonso as well, the thing to remember is that which was highlighted by the Newcastle fans, which I thought was really awful, was they keep shouting out this. There are a few fans who do it, this murderer thing about him because he had the accident with the... Oh, uh, yeah. With it. And some, some, some fans are really spiteful like that. And... Uh, um, uh, I think considering that, that 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 that's been on his mind as well, particularly when fans get at him, I, yeah, think, yeah. I think Alonso. Well, does, you, you does say that. You, you you say that, mate. But you know, every morning he wakes up and he goes, "I'm Marcus Alonso, and I'm playing for Chelsea Football Club." Where all the haters on Twitter wake up and they're still a virgin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. And they'll never play for Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They'll never play for Chelsea. They'll never play for Chelsea. Um, Dan, sorry, Jake. Yes, yeah, sorry, mate. Go I on. just say at the beginning you um you you we did that um but uh, was better than Yashin. You said about Forster, and I just wanted to to uh, to say the other song that I, I used to sing as a as a child was the I I I I Benetti is better than Yashin. Do you remember that one? We all we'll agree. agree. Benetti was... is better than Yashin. Yeah. Now, I never got the next bit right. Yep. I always used to go, hang on. I, I, I do, I do. And Osgood is better than... No, 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 no. I know it, I know it, I know it, I know it. And Osgood is better than you, Sabio, and Tottenham are in for a thrashing. Tottenham, I don't think Spurs are in for I can't believe I think you're going to get a terrible thrashing. I don't remember the Spurs. Well, it was either United, from from what I was told by people who were old enough to know, it was either United or Spurs. Okay, okay. So there you go. Right, Dan, Dan. I never got that. Osgood is better than Eusebio. Thank you. I remember that. Good. Excellent. Sorry, okay. I just thought I'd digress. Uh, Thank you. Or Baldwin. Or Baldwin. It could also be Baldwin. It, you know, Baldwin is also acceptable, apparently. Now, Dan. Yes. Uh, now, going back to Alonso, which is what we were talking about. He scored yes. 10 league goals at the beginning of last season. How about those apples? Brilliant. I mean, you've got to look at the veracity of these people who complain about Alonso. I mean, they're probably like FIFA bedwetters. I mean, he's because he's not, <laughs> you know a world famous left back and he's had you know he's played for Sunderland and Bolton people immediately assume he's shit it's not about being a you know world free for it's about fitting into a team he's got fantastic attributes he's tall he's strong he's quick he gets goals he's a very intelligent footballer I've got a lot of time for him I don't give a shit that he's played for Bolton and Sunderland he's a really good player and, he, and he's a Premier League winning wing back so how do you like them apples the haters mm. In fact, okay, yeah, I, I love him. The haters are just go fuck off. You know, you, hate, you can't hate fuck. Cahill, you can't hate Alonso. I hate him for legitimate reason, but you know, cause but it's quite, if, well, it's quite interesting, Dan, isn't it? I mean, how, how many Chelsea players are hated at the moment? Let's let's go through the team. There are people that hate Courtois, right? Yeah. There are people who hate Gary Cahill. Yeah. Okay. There are people hating on Bakayoko. Alonso. And there are people William. that have hate. Well, yeah, okay, Alonso as well. We've got so that's okay. Courtois, Cahill, Bakayoko, Alonso, Moses, lots of Moses haters, William, William haters, Batshuayi. Um, is that it? I think Batshuayi gets Batshuayi. Yeah, Batshuayi. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that's seven. Yeah, that's almost the whole fucking team. What are these people on? PlayStation. Too it's just much, beggar's obviously. belief. Well, ha-ha, there you go. I tell you what, I'm going to ask Joe about this, because you see, Joe, I know, is a secret agent on Twitter, which is why one of the reasons, well, one of the many reasons I love him, but Joe will go out there 
like a witch finder general and hunt these pillocks down and engage with them and batter them on the head. Joe, I mean, what is, what is, why, I mean, you know, I'll say a question to you really. Why, A, why do they pick on Alonso? Why do they hate on Alonso? And B, I can't believe we've just named seven players that we know people hate on, which is just a, a sorry, Praj has just come in with Fabregas, so that's eight. So (laughs) try and find some sense in this. Try and find some sense in this. (laughs) Fabregas has blocked you on Twitter. Yeah, I think I, 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 I've i never been his biggest fan. I think after one game, I, I to be honest, I don't follow him. I've never mentioned him on Twitter, but he must search his own name. I said something about he runs around like he's carrying Bakayoko and Kante in a backpack, that he's so slow at times. And I think after that game, he uh, he blocked me on Twitter. So, okay. yeah, that's, uh, that's also quite sad. I've got, professional I've got a new verse. Exactly. I've got a new verse, Joe. Fabregas is magic. He wears a magic hat. He went and blocked Joe Tweeds. And that's the end of that. Exactly. <laughs> Um, I mean, I think the the Alonso thing. I mean, again, I'm I'm not going to say I'm not going to sit and say I'm his I'm his biggest fan. Um, I do think, however, though, that you you almost get two entirely different players. I think this this three five two system that we've played does not favour him at all. Um, I think it exposes him a little bit defensively when he has the kind of the wing cover or the the kind of the, the inside forward or number ten or whatever it is we want to call them yeah, in this three four three. I think he's a completely different player. I think particularly the past few games, my, my main, main criticism of him is that for someone who has such an incredible, incredible left foot, he doesn't, he barely puts a cross in. I mean, he put one in for William in the past game, but that was because for the first time in ages, we were playing with wingers and he was actually able to get forward. But so many games for someone who is so good technically with his left foot. I mean, I, I looked, just had a quick look at his stats. Yeah. He, does, he doesn't even complete a single cross a game. I mean, and you're talking about one of the best left foots probably in world football. So that, that kind of thing does irritate me a bit, but... I think it's to do with the system. And the past two games in particular, as I said, I'm not his biggest fan, but I think he's been brilliant. Last game in particular. Um, we could talk about the free kick goals as much as you want, but he, he hit a volley, which was absolutely incredible. Um, and I, I just think it gives him a little bit more freedom, a little bit more um, you know, kind of impetus and onus to go forward. Because I, I think in that 3-5-2 system, I just think he's left. He's, he's a bit too isolated. And I would disagree with Dan. I don't think he's particularly quick. And that, that's, that, that for me, I think is something that that he himself knows. Um, you know, we've seen this season that, that the problems that quick wingers give him, it's, it is quite bad one-on-one defensively. But as soon as you put the, the wing cover ahead of him, he, he's a completely different player. So, yeah. Um, mm. The second part of your question, though, Chish, I, I think people at the moment are far too... I mean, I, even myself included, I include myself in that, that this kind of flip-flopping between players and, and this sort of overly aggressive kind of binary analysis that we have of them, they're crap one week, they're like world beaters the next... Some of them need time. It's some of it's to do with the system. There's so many different factors that come into a player's performance level. You look at Fabregas last season, you know, coming off the bench, he was absolutely sensational. He's been a bit iffy this season. He's been a bit fantastic this season. But everyone sort of formulates these kind of concrete opinions on players after like two or three games. And I think again, you know, someone like Cahill, again, you know, I, I, again, I don't, I do not think he's the best centre back. I think he's actually playing pretty well this season, and people are not actually giving him the. Uh, the credit he's due, um, but it's. I think it's just an inability to see beyond people's kind of preconceived uh, opinions. You know, I'm, I'm very, very happy to change my well, opinion on players throughout the the season. Um, you know, again, I think William is a very good case in point. When he was deputising for Hazard as kind of the support for Morass, I think he was quite poor earlier in the season. But as soon as you put him in a position that he's used to and that he's familiar with, particularly the past two games, he's been great. So maybe it's more about to do with. Mm. Uh, you know, round pegs, round holes, and seeing actually giving players, kind of putting them in their natural positions rather than people just sort of jumping well, on them I, immediately. I totally agree, mate. You know, when it takes me back to uh, the, the the very harsh lesson I learned about Mikel, actually, um, <laughs> who I was pretty scathing about when he when he started playing for Chelsea, but 
ultimately, you know, Mikel as a football player was sacrificed to the position that he had to play. And, and you know, ultimately I realised what a fantastic player he was for us because he, he did what he was told and he broke up play and he gave it to somebody else. And that's what his job was to do. But, you know, when he plays for Nigeria, he plays almost like a number 10. Yep. Um, I think, actually, somebody somebody on Mixler made a brilliant point here, actually. Gregory Gardner, I don't think we've seen you in here before, Greg, Gregory. You may well have been, but if not, welcome on board. It's nice to see you in here. He's given a, a brilliant uh, post here. And he says, why do we give so much credence to these idiots on Twitter? Good point. Um, well, that's a very good point, Gregory. And, and I have to say, I don't really. I know it might sound like it on the show, but obviously we get a bit wound up by some of the stupidity. I think the the best response to that point, uh, Gregory, is the thing that probably pisses me off more than anything else is the number of so-called media, I sound like Donald Trump here, so-called media outlets who who go and then, uh, yeah, and it is fake news. They tr- They dig up some stupid tweets they see about negative tweets about Chelsea players from supposed Chelsea fans and make an article about it when I can guarantee and I don't want to sound I don't want to go all Dan Levine here but I can guarantee that they've probably you know <laughs> never ever ever been to a game let alone played football or anything I mean they're, they're, it's just 10 year old fuckwits frankly anyway that's my rant over uh, Jonathan I'm gonna let you have the last word on this um, well, I, I, I agree with everything you said, Chidge. I just wanted to say that I... That's um, all that, I needed that you whole, to say. Is that all you needed? Okay. <laughs> well, ask, can I say... I'll say no, 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 I'm well joking. Done, I'm joking. Chidge, you are absolutely excellent. I just wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to echo the fact that I agree completely that Alonso, when given the opportunity to attack, and when, when he's involved in the attack, we, we're, we're a much, for me, we're a much better proposition. And as a defender... He, he does his bit and he gets his headers in, but he's not um, he's not in the same class as he is a, as an attacker. And I think we knew that when he first came into the club. But um, but he does a good the, job for the team, mate. Doesn't he, he does a fantastic job for the team, and he is when he's when mm. when when it when it is the three four three, he really comes into his own. But it, but my 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 argument has been that the the three five two is something that he likes to play in situations where he wants to defend. And it, it, it to me, it doesn't suit the team. And I, I'll, go, I'll go back to what I said before. You know, in the Liverpool game, um, we started off with that, with a 3-5-2, and we are under the cost for a bit. All right, we held them. But then he brought everybody on with the last 10 minutes, and we completely destroyed them. So, I, you know, we should have... I feel, always feel he should... He should it's attempting to do it the other way round for me. I know he has to think about, you know, the, the he's tactically looking at the other team and how strong the other side is. And perhaps Liverpool was the, the way to go. Um, because they're such a, mm. an attacking force, so we're actually trying to blunt it initially. But I'd rather that we... Uh, this is such a potent force. I mean, I agree completely. I thought William was fantastic. And uh, and he, he seems mm. to be very happy playing in that environment. And to me, if he, and he's a top, top player. So if you want to allow mm. him to... And to react as in the three with all three of them, and Pedro's a top player. And and uh, and it, it makes you... It's a, As you say, Chidge, it's a, and I agree with you completely. And, and here I am saying, absolutely, yes, I agree, Chidge. Um, it's a it's an option. Um, it's a very <laughs> good option. Leader. Yeah, exactly. Yes, hail hail Caesar, Chidge. It's uh, it's uh, <laughs> it's an option. It's a really good option that because you can then bring Morata on. As I thought, when he brought Morata on, um, we it added an um, and Fabregas later on in the game against Southampton. There was another energy, and it worked very well as well. So uh, so yeah. 
There we are. Well, I'll tell you what, mate, talking about talking about Fabregas, I mean, that, that was interesting because I, I agree with you. I, I think when, when Fabregas came on, he made an immediate impact. I mean, he almost, uh, I, I mean, I, you know, I, I never, ever think we're offside. So I'm probably the last person in the world to ask. But uh, the, the goal, the goal that was called offside that hasn't scored was set up beautifully by Fabregas. And I, and I, I absolutely believe that he is still crucial to unlocking the door. And I kind of wondered... I mean, it's such a difficult thing. I, I can't, I can't, on the one hand, you know, cope Fabregas off for not being able to vend and then no, moan no. that he's not played in a two in midfield. It seems a bit unfair. But I, I really have. War- I mean, my latest CFC UK, if anybody's read it yet, is is basically an apology. I've written a, an apology to Fabregas for spending most of his Chelsea career coating him off, largely because of my petty hatred of Barcelona and Barcelona, I was about to say. Arsenal and Barcelona. <laughs> but I've begun, to, I've begun to really love him because I think I love his attitude, actually. I think he's probably one of the biggest leaders we have in the team, actually. Uh, and he does fight for the shirt. Uh, but I think I love the fact that he, he can unlock the door and... and it's beginning to irritate me when when Conte doesn't start him now, which is a, which is a Damascian conversion if ever there was one, isn't it, Joe? I don't know, Joe Dan, who, who wants to have a go at that one? Dan, we haven't heard from you for a while. Yeah, I think he's a great, great player. I think he's his history is unfortunate, but you see what he's done for us. I mean, he's a phenomenal player. I mean, yes, he's he has his limitations, but his vision is. I mean, I was, when I was at Bournemouth away early in the season, I was kind of well pushes into watching. You see him on the ball, his head's always looking around, he's looking for runs, he's looking for, you know, the, the right ball. He's he's a very intelligent footballer and he, he could he could put a ball on a on a penny piece. I think he I, I think he's great. You know, he's he's come to Chelsea, mm. he's what he's one thing. He's magic mate. Yeah, exactly. He's got a lot of nice hats. He's come to Chelsea, he's won stuff. I think he <laughs> I think he actually it'd be interesting if you ask him a question now, what what was better? His time at Arsenal or his time at Chelsea be very interested to see his reaction. Well, maybe, maybe Dan, Dan, maybe, maybe we should get Joe to tweet him. Oh, of course, Joe's blocked. So, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> am, am I the best person to Actually, now you're going to. Well, I, I was going to say, Joe, yes, he's making me check to see if he's blocked me because I'm bound to have said something rude about him on Twitter in the past. Kalu blocked so me. So I'll, I'll have a look in the break. And re- Solomon Kalu. Okay. Blocked. Solomon well, Kalu blocked me. Was that one of his shots? He blocked you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but Jonathan, that's because you retweeted that picture of him with his shorts falling down. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't. I know. I, I saw nice. it. I told him to uh, stop being so bad. Actually, no, I phrased it differently. Oh, I, well, poor Kalu. I, I really you know, like Kalu. It was when he hit the ball head. over the bar from uh, two inches that it really did my head in. Oh fuck me! I was behind the goal when he did that. Yeah, yeah. I was behind the goal. It was a cup final, wasn't it? Yeah, and I yeah, was right yeah. behind the goal, and I, yeah, I, I couldn't believe how how somebody could miss that. It was harder by a factor of a thousand to miss that than put it in the gut anyway, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, right, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Prince of Denmark, largely because we have another Prince of Denmark on the show, because Joe, of course, is now a resident of Copenhagen. Wonderful, wonderful Copenhagen. Um, just very quickly, Joe, I mean, he really he really is impressing. I mean, it looks like he's been playing for Chelsea for 500 years at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, there, was a, there was a piece of play, I think, during the Huddersfield game, which I think a few people have... I've seen the clip of where he he kind of played three really quick passes and like really under a lot of pressure and then sort of dribbled out and then just sort of passed the ball so casually across, you know, the entire kind of um, Huddersfield mid, uh, midfield to to Marcos Alonso. I just felt looking at him thinking, you know, th- this is the exact kind of uh, modern defender that Chelsea probably have, have been wanting for for quite a while. You know, it's not this kind of 
you know, playing 70, 80 yard passes. It's just this this mm. complete and utter almost like serenity that he has when he has the ball at his feet. He's never under pressure. He's never he flustered. Comfortable. He never he never dives into tackles. He never overcommits. You know, and this is this is the thing that I've I've been looking at recently is, you know, if you look at kind of people who are trying to compare him with John Stones using stats and if you actually pay attention to Christensen during the game, he doesn't actually do a lot of defensive stuff because more often than not, he's always in such a good position that either playing the ball to the centre forward is probably a bad option because he nips in front or it's just it's just a bad option because his positioning is so good. So you know, you're seeing all these people, oh, he doesn't make many tackles or he doesn't make many clearances. It's probably because he's just always in such a good position. And, and he really, really reminds me of, of Ricardo Cavallio when he was uh, sort of coming through, obviously, with JT, that sort of similar style of defender. I don't think Christian ha- Christensen has quite developed the... The sort of the darker side that Cavalier had, but that sort of uh, almost kind of like regal kind of uh, centre half that you know, I just just think he's absolutely spectacular and and for such a young player to be such a crucial and, and calming influence on the side, particularly in that kind of central position, it's fantastic. And I think it's it, it's really coming through that he is actually getting rested by Conte during games now. He is the one that comes off to get a rest. So you know he's gone from being this kind of academy graduate who's gone and played very well in Germany to you know getting a bit lucky getting his chance but he's he's taken it completely with both hands and it's not it's not an easy position to play and I think that's one of the things which is so impressive is that he makes the game look so simple you know and I, I'm not sort of making the comparison but at this kind of age I think he he's probably a little bit calmer than JT was I think JT maybe 23 24 just completely became a world-class centre-half I think Christensen might be a year ahead of him in terms of that that that, that ability that he has in the Premier League I think Terry again was was the one who uh, who picked him out a couple of years ago, saying that he would Christensen would would go on and become potentially his uh, his permanent successor in the side. So, you know, I would love to see to see Christensen do that. I think again, you know, he's got so many characteristics that 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 make him perfect for the way the game's heading. You know, it's heading in this direction where everyone has to be comfortable on the ball. You know, my my one fear was I I I think Denmark might try and play him in midfield in the World Cup because they have two centre halves that they like, but. Keep him as a centre half for me. I think he can play in a three. He can play in a two, but but for me, he's the complete future of the club. And, and how nice is it to to have a player come through? I think he cost about half a million pounds in total, you know, a couple of seasons ago, and to have him come all the way through and potentially fill the boots of uh, of, of probably our, our, our greatest ever academy player. So there is some kind of very very nice symmetry in that as well. Well, I think not only in that, Joe, but I mean, you were talking about uh, Christensen's ability to read the game, and I think it does bear absolute comparison with JT because of course JT never had any pace. Uh, but JT also had a very, very good touch. I remember, you know, having a beer with Rob Shepard many, many years ago and, and he couldn't Rob, Rob has always, you know, been a good friend of and kept in touch with Terry Venables and Terry Venables said that JT had the best first touch of any defender he's ever seen play for England. So, you know, JT had a good touch, but he read the game. He didn't need to be quick. He had that half a yard in his head. And I think Christensen's, the same and very comfortable on the ball. And I think actually it's quite unfortunate because, you, you, you know, and this is going to sound like the Twitter mob, isn't it? But I mean, Cahill, very unfortunately, as he quite often does, did a giraffe impression with his legs and his feet, <laughs> which nearly led to Southampton scoring. But I think poor old Cahill, you, you see him playing next to uh, next to Christensen and you realise what how appalling Cahill's first touch is. But anyway, talking of Chelsea defenders, um, I just want to kind of wrap this part off really by talking about these uh, Louise uh, rumours that have surfaced in the press of course not that we ever believe the fake news fake media the failing media as the Donald would say um, but apparently uh, Juventus and Real Madrid are sniffing around um, and the other the other media the, the English media tend to be uh, you know adding two and two and making seven 
in terms of the rift with Conte, but of course completely ignoring the fact that the reason he hasn't played recently is because he's got a bloody injury. But it kind of left me feeling that well, we'll talk after this bit, if you like, about whether he might go or not. But I, you know, I was actually thinking, in view of of how well Christensen's playing, where do we think a fit Louise ranks in the defensive pecking order? Now, to start it off, I, I would say that our, the best defender at the club is Aspilicueta. Then I would say it's Christensen. Then I would say Louise. Then Cahill. Then Rudiger. But uh, Dan, wh- what would you say about that? Oh, I would swap Rudiger for Cahill. I think Cahill's, you know. I know we don't like Katie Wop. I think. Yeah, you're a Cahill hater. Yes. You're a Cahill oh, hater, Dan. Cahill. You're a Cahill yeah. hater. I, I just think he's. You fucking PlayStation <laughs> playing mom. <laughs> <laughs> he's number five for the fact that he's not aggressive enough. He, he, back, he backs off when he should be more aggressive. His first touch is awful. Awful is a harsh word, but other players back off him because when he gets the ball, they're not worried about it. Listen, I think he's been a fantastic servant, but I think he's fallen down a pecking order to number five. I think Rudiger's going to be a great player. Wow. I really like the look of him. I think he's he's he's, he's strong. very speedy, isn't he? Rudy? Yeah, he's very speedy. strong. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Luis. I mean, Luis has always got a mistake in him, but I think he's great. I think he's he's what this team hasn't got. He's one of the leaders. He's he, he's got desire. He's got hunger. We need we need Luises around the dressing room because at the moment they're all kind of. Not lily livered, but they, we don't we don't have any strong characters in that dressing room. I think they'll you know go and cry think, right. on Twitter. But um, no, I'd, I'd have. So what's your what's your order then? What's your order then? As P, top to bottom. All right, As P, Christensen, Louise, Rudiger, Cahill. So you're the same as me, apart from Cahill's at the bottom. Yeah. I tell you what, I was torn. I was torn between Cahill and Rudiger, but I plumped for for Cahill because I think you know of his experience. You know. Mm-hmm. He's won it all, as they say, but maybe that's a misty-eyed view. Um, Jonathan, I'm going to ask you the same question. Uh, I think I'd agree with Dan, actually, with that order. I mean, I just think it'll be interesting to see if um, uh, suddenly Van Dyke is on the on the radar, because that means that Lewis, <gasps> Lewis will definitely be off. Um, and I think he wants another defender. Um, uh, I don't think what he's got is enough at the moment. And I think uh, um, you know, Van Dyke has been... Associ- has been um, linked to uh, so many different clubs and the fact that he didn't didn't play what well, they, they were saying he was um, just uh, the manager Pellegrino was just saying he'd given him a a rest but it looked a bit ominous to me the fact he didn't play because he's he's the best player for them apparently um so let's see he's, if he's we, a very good player he's no very well, absolutely he's a very good player i think these stats were phenomenal um in which case uh, you know that that'll definitely mean goodbye to louise but but i know once again this rumor was um was heavily uh, mentioned again amongst the people I sit with. You know, I didn't. I didn't come up with this rumor. I haven't invented it. It's all been said to me by by various people who are keep uh, your powder dry. Yeah, well, keep I'll, your well, powder I'll, dry. I'm keeping it dry. I'm keeping it dry. Okay, okay. Yeah, you told me not to say that, but occasionally I just get I get slightly riled. My dander gets up, Chich. Gets up. <laughs> Okay. Your dander's up, Jonathan. Up. You know your dander is well and truly up. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna you know talk to talk to the most sensible uh, among the quartet tonight, which of course is. Which is well, I, I include myself in the unsensible camp, so or the insensible camp, depending on your preference. Uh, but we'll leave the last remark to Joe on this because uh, I know Joe loves Joe loves games like this. He's always putting things like this up on Twitter. <laughs> so you know, where does where does Louise rank? And this is why I kind of brought this in tonight, Joe. I thought you'd like this. You yes. see. So where you know, what's your kind of uh, hierarchy of defenders at Chelsea then, with a fully fit Louise? 
So I think you have you've got the two side centre backs. I think that they're personally I, I would say they're slightly different positions than the centre back. So I'd say Christiansen is now the first choice in the middle. I'd say Aspilicueta, I'd have him first choice either side. Um and then I would say Rudiger and then uh, Cahill for the two side back positions. So yeah, you kind of I'd say Cahill was kind of last choice for the two sort of either side of the the middle guy. And then I put Louise just behind Christensen. Although the one thing I would, you know, if I would, would have liked to have seen, although I, I doubt it's probably going to happen before January, is uh, is playing Louise in that left centre back spot, so where Cahill and Rudiger often play. Uh, I think you know he's got a lot more license to bring the ball forward, particularly against some of these defensive teams. I think that would have been an interesting uh, asset to see Louise just carry the ball forward and, and try some of these uh, passes into into Morata or to Hazard. But I doubt we'll uh, we'll probably see that happen. Mm. Well, that's really interesting. I thought the way you approached that was quite interesting too, actually, Joe, because you refused to list them in order like I did, and you were far <laughs> more clever and tactical about it as I expected you to be. For what it's worth, um, you know, I, I, I really would hate to see Louise go. Um, I, you know, I mean, J- Jonathan has his sources and stuff. I, I, I tend to take all of that with a bit of pinch of salt. But I, I, you know, I like Louise. I think he's been. I think he's been great at the. I think he's been great at the club, and I he's agree. a character. And, I agree. You know, I pay my money. I pay my money not just to see Chelsea win, but to see personalities and characters on the pitch. And I think he, you know, he likes to. He, you know, he he livens it up. You know, he's got character, he's a fighter, he puts his foot in, he can ping a 50-yard pass, he can do something crazy, you know, and that's worth the entrance fee to me. And I, I like the curly-haired Muppet, I really do, so I hope he doesn't go. Right, on that on that uh, very nice point, uh, we're going to have a quick break, but afterwards we're going to Luke, Luke back at a top night, Oop North, in Uddersfield, and uh, a, a championship-winning team, no less, three times, I believe, and uh, look forward to our League Cup quarter-final against Bournemouth. I mean, who knew, Joe? Uh, anyway, we're going to be looking at, looking ahead to Wednesday night's match against Bournemouth in the Caribou Cup. We'll see you in a sec. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Chidge. JK. In all the years you've been following Chelsea, you hardly ever miss a match, home or away. But how would you feel if you couldn't be there and it's not on TV? Oh, Chidge, I'd be bereft. Inconsolable. The thought of missing my beloved Blue Boys live. <laughs> It's all too much. <laughs> I know, JK, I know. It's all a bit too much, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> well, panic not. NordVPN have come to the rescue. They have? Yep, NordVPN allows us to watch any match, even if it's not on live TV here. They do? Yeah, they do. With just one click, they switch your virtual location to a country which is showing the match and they act as your cyber bodyguard whilst online, protecting your personal data and sensitive info like card details and passwords. Oh, wow, great. Uh, But yeah, I bet that'll cost me a fortune. Actually, JK, it's only the price of a cup of coffee per month, and you can use your account across six devices. It's a bargain, JK. And best of all, no more tears for you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, NordVPN. I'm so happy. I could cry. <laughs> Where do I sign up, Jidge? Well, to get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. 
There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, and you'll help support the Chelsea Fancast. The link is in the podcast episode description box. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Proper Chelsea. Football Fancast. Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and of course, this is the Chelsea Fancast. And I am delighted to be joined, as ever, by Mr. Jonathan Kidd. A joy to be on, Chidge. A joy, as always. I love, of course, who's dander as well and truly up, as we've already discussed thus far. Uh, we've also we've got the mighty Dan Silver. Whose dander is down. Oh. Well, even though your main name is Dan, so yeah. I mean, that's a bit unfortunate, really. But there you go. And last, but by no means least, of course, we've got the fabulous Joe Tweeds all the way from Copenhagen. Yeah, good to be on as always, Hitch. Lovely stuff. Right, now, this little part here, uh, we're just going to have a quick catch-up on, on, on various points that we picked up from the Huddersfield game and then have a, a quick chat about the, uh, the Caribou Cup match on Wednesday night, plus uh, a few... You, the usual plugs uh, for things, what is going on in the world of Chelsea supporters. But uh, I have to say, very, very sad not to have been able to go to Huddersfield on Tuesday night. Uh, for those those of you who listen to this show regularly know that I, because I've got a job down in Hampshire and uh, I work quite late on a Tuesday and Wednesday, which basically means I can't even make uh, matches up to Stamford Bridge at the moment, let alone away trips to Huddersfield. Um, but when, when, when Huddersfield came up, uh, got promoted last season. I was really looking forward to you know the possibility of an away trip up there, but thank thankfully uh, Sky, in their infinite wisdom, or decided to, uh, to to put it on. Or was it BT? I can't remember now. But anyway, they put it up on a Tuesday night, which basically made that an impossibility for me, and I was mightily dischuffed because it's I've not been there before, and I really quite fancied that. Uh, and by all accounts, it was an absolutely top top night. Dan, I'm not sure. Did you go, Dan? Were you there? No, no, I was. I was going to go, but and then work commitments got in the way. But uh, Paul, we met, he was up there. He said yeah. it was a really good away day. Yeah. So he really, really thoroughly yeah. enjoyed himself. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, everybody I know who went has been absolutely effusive about I mean, actually, also how friendly, uh, what a friendly bunch they were. And, you know, it was, it was a very warm welcome. And it's just a really top, top, top away match, wasn't it? Yeah, it's one of those kind of new grounds you want to tick off, so you've been to it. But I thought I saw quite a lot of social media. There's a lot of, like, mutual respect for each other saying that Chelsea were the best yeah. away fans. And from, really? From, yeah, apparently. That's good. Better than City, better than United. So, you know, but we, we have got great away fans. But, you know, hopefully go next year. I hope they stay up when we go next year. It's the first game of the season in August when it's warm and not bloody freezing. Uh, yeah, although, by all accounts, it was warmer up in Huddersfield than it was down in London, bizarrely, but there you go. Um, bottom line is, uh, Joe, it was a pretty comprehensive 3-1 win against a doughty opponent. I mean, this lot are no mugs, even if they if they have just been promoted. No, I mean, I think, yeah, maybe, I think probably Dan or Jonathan will talk about Hazard, but I want to give uh, Bakayoko a bit, of, uh, a bit of praise, really, because I think the, the, the kind of the rhetoric that's been against him for the past couple of weeks, I mean, we've, we've got a guy who hasn't had a, a pre-season who has been you know injured and, and let's you know I think people seem to be forgetting that this was a guy who pretty much told the doctors that he would you know he's quite willing to play on one leg against Tottenham in his debut that's kind of sort of the guy that we've signed um yeah. you know I think he, he deserves a little bit more time 
you know, to, to, to come into the side. I, you know, I made the point saying that potentially a youth team player wouldn't get anywhere near the number of minutes, but, you know, he's a £40 million signing and, and that's a kind of a different, a sort of different question. But I felt to the, uh, the, the Huddersfield game was a real kind of, uh, I, mean, I don't want to say a turning point, maybe we, we need a few more games to see, but I think he backed up against Southampton. He also played very well, but I think he, he definitely suits the two in midfield a lot more than the three. I think, uh, you know, what we've seen potentially with the three is that he's, a little bit unsure potentially positioning where he's meant to be off the ball and I think sometimes it's it's almost like the rest of his game kind of uh, you know almost like a domino effect to the rest of his game but playing with Kante in the two against Huddersfield I thought he was fantastic he took the goal brilliantly he really controlled the game and for the, for the first time I think we were starting to see kind of the player that that Monaco have, have lost and you know for those of people who aren't familiar with French football um, Monaco you know since uh, Bakayoko has gone they've still kept Fabinho this guy in midfield that a lot of people were trying to sign in the summer they look like a completely different team without Bakayoko. I mean, they're still second in the in the French league, but they're they're miles behind PSG when when they obviously they they won the league last season. So he's been a huge miss for them. I think potentially we need to give this guy a little bit more time, a little bit more more love, and, and show him a little bit more appreciation because I think inside him he he does have the tools to become like a Patrick Vieira kind of Michael Essien type player. And I felt the game against Huddersfield, even if he took the goal away from uh, from his performance, you know, he, I think he could have scored with the header as well. Just generally the really kind of the the controlling influence in midfield that we've lacked for quite a long time. And I felt that the the kind of dovetailing that he was doing with Kante, it was, it was very, you know, I don't really want to use Arsenal as a comparison, but it was very kind of petit Vieira, the way that they kind of very telepathically went forward and back and, and the kind of the athleticism that had in midfield. But yeah, you know, overall I thought a great performance, but Bakayoko in particular, you know, I think uh, we may not see the best of him until next season, but he's very young. Um, you know, and I think uh, again, potentially that this is a player that who could be a, uh, a very, very significant signing for us. And I felt the Huddersfield game, hopefully is the, the marking of a bit of a turning point for him because I felt it was fantastic. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he played very well and it was really, I think what was particularly pleasing is to see him get forward. Yes. You know, because that's what that's what we want to see. We, I mean, I I don't want to see, and I don't see the need for two out and out defensive midfielders. Uh, you know, Kante plays you know like two players anyway. But he, I mean, he he got forward really well a lot, and I thought the way he took his goal was fantastic. It was it was kind of redolent of Frank Lampard, what he used to do regularly. So, not that I'm comparing Bakayoko to Frank Lampard, of course. Now I'm going to ask Jonathan this question because, of course, as as many people will know, Jonathan was probably the only one of us that was alive to see Huddersfield win uh, their three back-to-back uh, Football League Division One trophies. Am I, am I right there, Jonathan? Yes, yes, I was indeed. Uh, I've got um, I've got a pair of very similar football boots that they wore then, which go halfway up your leg, and the studs are leather. And you've got a let me say something. You've got a very you've got a decent toe cap on it. That's what I like about it. So when you hack somebody, they stay hacked. Well, the thing to remember, of course, is that they wore all of their legs was was solid wood shin pad in that era. So you had no problem. You could kick anybody as much as you like. They were never hurt. It just meant they were a bit woody. They sort of laid down roots after a bit, just standing there on the pitch. So the ball got hoofed up. It got poofed up the pitch, the ball. And what would happen was it would hoofed up by the fullback. And everybody would say, that's ball like it. As the ball went into the opposition penalty area. And there'd be people lingering so you wouldn't be offside. Yes, indeed. Oh, I was at the last Do you know Chelsea what? Huddersfield. Yeah. yeah, I was at the game, actually. The last, Were you the really? Last no, well, Chelsea hang on. Hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Pop, pop. 
When when was the last Chelsea Huddersfield game, I think, Jonathan? I think it was an FA Cup tie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was about seven eight years ago. Oh, hang on, it was recent. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. Okay, what was the last Chelsea Hud? What was the last Chelsea Huddersfield league match? Because I'm sure you were at that. I think I was. I've got the program. It's always if I've got the program, I was there, and I've got the program, but I can't remember the game. Of course, I've got the Chelsea. Was on Chad put something on Twitter with Chelsea woke Workington. Um, cup tie and I, I, I've got that programme so I was there as well but once again I don't remember Aussie made his debut and oh, did he at that game yes he did you're right he did absolutely yeah. right absolutely yeah. right yeah and the, of course I just got, know that because I'm as, full um, of what's it, as Tim Rolls said when Osgood went on again the following game I think it was um, he, he got booed because Barry Bridges was the substitute and uh, everybody wanted Bridges on and uh, and I remember everybody booing mm. Osgood and, and Bridges came on and everybody cheered. And I remember Tim Rolls reminded me of that. And I remember that. It needed that little, you know, the memory to be stirred. But I remember that moment. I remember where I was standing. I was all, I was used to put myself. They, mm, they used to have these little hoops. There was the kind of thing about football grounds. They all had these these little metal hooped um, uh, circular tops to them. You could gaze through the circular top if you were little. You know, I'm about six or seven, and I'm just gazing through this little hoop and uh, watching the game. And it was about your seat fitted. You could just look out. You'd be in the front, right at the front. So the, the players were actually sort of, you know, just above you on the level of the pitch. I mean, it, it was really exciting to be in the front. And then at half time, you'd march around to the other end and watch it from the other angle because you could. You just walk around. So, uh, hey, those were the days. Blimey. I remember that. Those were the days. So, I mean, listen, we, we need to set the record straight here because, I mean, you know, I, I know because I, I know my football, but Huddersfield. I think they well they certainly won the uh, the football you know league division one back to back in the late twenties was it or early thirties? Well, they were but managed. A, they were managed by Chapman. Who then, they were managed by Chapman, who then Arsenal bought. That's right. And he was the great manager at yeah, the time, yeah. and they bought him and um, and set up the dynasty as Arsenal. So when people say you know well Chelsea bought the title, I think you'll find that Arsenal did exactly the yeah. same thing in the thirties by buying all the best players and the best manager completely illegally, of course, but nobody mentions that you know. Of course. Of course. Well, they're crooks. They always have been at Arsenal. I mean, the other thing about Huddersfield that always I, I always remember is that Bill Shankly, I think he both played for and managed them. And, of course, Dennis Law uh, started out at Huddersfield, yeah. didn't he? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So they're a proper old club, and I, I think it's actually lovely to see them back in the Premier League. But anyway, uh, thanks to uh, the wonderful Sam Wallace, I say that so that he doesn't block me on Twitter, uh, coated the Chelsea supporters off for singing Champions of England, You'll Never Sing That, which, of course, is a very divvy thing to do. But I checked with Dan in the pub on Saturday and others who were there, and I was roundly told, I was roundly told that we were singing Champions of Europe, You'll Never Sing That. Uh, that was what Paul was saying, wasn't it, Dan? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's another, you know, knock Chelsea for some pathetic, stupid reason. I mean, majority of our fan base will be fully aware of Huddersfield and have won the league. You know, maybe the you know the the younger kids won't, but I just it's such a nothing story. I mean, how how on earth has it got? Yeah. It just it's it, the bloody media is just uh, baffles me. I mean, who cares? Who cares? Well, I quite it? I quite like Sam. I uh, I quite like Sam Wallace actually. He's one of the more erudite journalists, and he's I quite like him actually. So. I thought that was a cheap shot. Yeah. Sam, clean your bloody ears out. I expect he was probably wearing earmuffs because it was so cold, and he's a soft southerner, isn't he? Anyway, enough of that. Uh, talking of soft southerners, uh, the uh, the mighty Bournemouth are coming to play us with uh, everybody's favourite manager. <laughs> Excuse me, Eddie Howe. Eddie uh, on uh, On Wednesday night. Um, 
Now, listen, I, 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 I have it on record, and I've said this many times before, I, I really like the League Cup. Um, it might be a divvy trophy for some, but there's, for me, there's, you know, the great thing about getting to the final of the League Cup is you get 30,000 tickets, which means everybody gets to go. What is not to like about that? So I think it's important, but I'm biased. So I'm going to ask, I'm going to ask somebody who, who's more level-headed and clinical than me. So, uh, so Joe, uh, how important is winning the League Cup for Chelsea this year? Um, I mean, I, I think, to be honest, the, the way City are going, it's, you know, I, I don't want to sort of take the lead from the manager. I was a bit annoyed that Conte was so open about conceding the league. You know, obviously, he's been quite truthful there, but having the sort of the, the main man at the club sort of be so openly dismissive of the league kind of in December, I was a little bit irritated by that. However, saying that, I think the, um, I would love to win the, the League Cup and FA Cup this season. I'll quite gladly take a second or third place finish just sort of solidify things. I, th- I still don't want us to kind of go back to this. Not that I think we will, I should say that quite clearly. I don't think we're going to finish 10th again, but just a little bit of solidity. So back to back, you know, win the title, second or third, win, win a cup, maybe the FA Cup as well. I take that as a solid season. And I think, again, you know, whatever we're doing in the summer, whether that's with Conte or without Conte, you know, depending on on the uh, the rumours that you, that you like to hear, um, I think I, I would definitely take that. Um, in terms of like team selection, I, I would like to see someone like Ampadu start in midfield, uh, maybe a game for Dijon Sterling, at right wing back to give Moses a, a rest, maybe try a Costa on the left again to see how that works. Um, and also, I mean, you know, just, just uh, in terms of academy players, I, I would really like to see uh, a youngster called Callum Hudson-Odoi on the bench. He's been quite exceptional um, at youth team level and, and and, and exceptional to the point where it's it's a little bit embarrassing that he's I think he's he's scoring a goal and assisting a goal pretty much every game he's playing this season. One of England's standout players who who won I think he won the the, the World Cup with, uh, with with England in the in the summer. Um, I would love to see him on the bench and see him see him make his debut because I think again he is uh, potentially a, a kind of a generational talent that we're, that we've got in our academy here and uh, you know maybe bringing him on on the wing or whatever would, would be a nice place to to give him a debut, but. I'd like to a bit of a change team, give some of the squad players a go, give the likes of Ampadu and, and maybe Sterling a start and just sort of see where we go from there. But I think we should have more than enough from Bournemouth. And to be perfectly honest, I think given kind of their, their form at the moment, I, I think maybe they they will probably be looking at the league. So they, I, I don't know whether they, they will play an entirely rotated team, but I see it as a good opportunity uh, to, to rest some players. Mm. Well, I, I agree with you. I think I think that Bournemouth won't won't pick a full-strength side. Which seems sad in a way because you know they don't really. I mean, you know, what's their chance of winning anything? And you, if I'm a Bournemouth fan, I'm going to be really pissed off if he rests half the first team. You know, you've got a chance of a cup and a bit of glory, but there you go. That's modern football stinks, doesn't it? Um, I'm I don't know how many. Cho- I don't know how. Many, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I know Joe, you are the eternal optimist when it comes to <laughs> you know getting through the youth players Always. through, but. Uh, you know, I, Conte's a winner, mate. He likes to win trophies, and he's got a lot of pressure to do it. I, I can't see him making wholesale changes. I really can't. But then, yeah, know, I think I can, the, see, I can see him putting a few that regularly get on the bench, getting a go. Slightly playing devil's advocate. There. I mean, he, he can't keep complaining about the lack of squad depth when he's got a game that he can. I mean, he can probably play two or three of these players, and it not really affect the team. Again, I think sometimes we look at some of these youngsters and. and I just assume that there's such a huge, you know, jump. Maybe there is on a consistent basis, but I think what we've seen Ampadu this season just sort of step in and and, and be pretty decent. I think Dujon Sterling again played pretty well when he came on. I think it was against Carabag, etc. But two or three of them isn't hugely going to affect the, the, the. I imagine the outcome of the team, particularly when you've got on the bench Morata, you'll probably mm-hmm. have Hazard, William, Pedro, whoever, yeah. etc. I think you've got enough there. But you know, I think that this is this is something that Conte is 
is going to continually see throughout the season. He's, you know, when he has an opportunity to rest players, I think this personally, this is a game where he can do that. Whether he will or not, you know, it's, it's entirely up to him. But I do feel sometimes that his complaints about, you know, he complains a little bit about the small squad, etc. This is a perfect chance for him to to rest those players and give them some uh, give them some time off. Okay, fair enough. I mean, Dan, you know, I I think that he'll probably. You know, I, I'm kind of with Joe in a sense. I think he might bring a, a few of the youngsters in, but I think he'll he'll p- p- pick a strong enough team to win that match. The question, of course, is will it be strong enough to win it? I mean, we should beat Bournemouth, shouldn't yeah. we? They just got absolutely walloped by Liverpool, didn't they? I think I think we'll I think they'll play a very weakened side. I mean, it's as you said earlier, it's the League Cup is such a an important trophy, and the money in the Premier League is far more important. So, I wouldn't be surprised if he comes in with a, a scratch team. And I think Conte will probably pay seven. Seven of the regulars or first team players, and then you know fill up like he has done in previous games with two, two, three or four youth players. I would be surprised to see um, Masonda get a start because I think he's fit. I think Batshu will get a start. Mm. It'll, it'll be a you know it'll be um what's his who, who's our backup goalkeeper? Mine's gone blank. Uh, Camelero. Yeah, Camelero. Camelero in goal. Um, Cahill starts. Um, Rudiger will get a start. He'll be strong enough. To Rudiger. Drink water. Drink water should yeah, play drink, as well. Drink water. Yeah. He'll, he'll rest Kante. He'll rest Hazard. And he'll probably rest Christensen. Because I think those are his three key players. Mm. I think those three will be rested. And I think it'll, well, listen, whatever team. And Maratta, of yeah, course. Whatever team we put out should be able to be Bournemouth any, any time of the year, to can, be honest. At home. Can I just say that I thought that Huddersfield were terrible? I really thought we didn't talk about it, how bad Huddersfield were. I know we were very good. But I thought that they were. It was almost as if they'd just given up before the game started because they <laughs> they were they were excellent the other day. Well, the excellent on Saturday, they scored four goals, didn't they, against Watford? Looked a completely different side, but there was something as if they just thought we're never going to get a result here, and they didn't bother. They were absolutely abject. Yeah, it was. I know. I know. Well, we I'm, played I'm terribly all for that, well. Jonathan. And me too. I'm all the for more that. that happens, if only the if any more yeah. of these stupid small teams, yeah. if only more of these stupid small teams had that attitude, Jonathan, our bloody season would be a lot more no, comfortable. I do agree. It pisses me off when the likes of West Ham or Palace turn up and actually play well against us. No. They should know their fucking place and play like shit. And having said that, try and concentrate on getting points off each other. I think Palace are going to end up escaping relegation. I think they play mainly because yeah, mainly I, because I, of, I agree with of you Zaha, who is just. Playing out of his skin. Brilliant player. Completely brilliant. Mm. Listen, old Bean, uh, moving it back to what we were talking about, much as I do, in, I did enjoy your coating off of Huddersfield there. Um, <laughs> if we get through against Bournemouth, if we get through against Bournemouth, we, we'll probably end up with one of United City or Arsenal. Uh, I think I think the way it's panned out is that United City, Arsenal and us have all got somebody not as good as them. So there's a very good chance that all four of us will end up in the semi-finals, which... In in some in some some extent, kind of belies the fact that the League Cup is a is a cup that none of the big teams give a shit about when you've got pretty much the four best teams in the country all in the in the in the semi final potentially. Um, if we do get through, um, who would you prefer? Obviously, Arsenal, I would imagine. No, no, I'd like to play United actually. Um, um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, just because I like watching Mourinho down at the club. I think it, he looks a bit uncomfortable all the time. And, uh, and, he, and he's and he's he's not the joyous individual he was when when we when he first managed us when he was indeed special and fantastic and uh, he's become kind of the grumpy git one now for me he's just uh, he's he's always miserable he's, he's a cantankerous the cantankerous one the cantankerous one yeah absolutely absolutely the myth what? the, well, the look, myth I mean, one I, I know the highly miffed one I think West Ham will be Arsenal in my opinion anyway I don't think that's a that's a foregone conclusion no I, think... I agree I think he's he's, well, he's, he's that, made them yeah. play a lot better actually boys yeah. 
But once again, they're playing. It's very yeah. de- uh, defensive. And what he has done is Arnautovic, whatever you think of him, is a, has always been a decent player. And he's got him playing well again. He's got him playing with with spikiness. Did you see the way that um, that Hughes told him, called him, said that he was a get off the pitch, you fucker? He said in big close up, which they yeah. showed on they showed on they showed on match of the day. They, they showed on match of the day in one shot. There was one shot of the close up, and obviously the director said, "Oops, lose that one. We don't want to see that one again." And then from then on, it was in the long shot. <laughs> so, uh, but it was, it was I've always loved Mark Hughes. Yeah, me too. But uh, you know, he's got. He will always have a, a place in in our hearts because he was a, a, yeah. a one. Vicenza. One, one, yeah, but not only that, he was just a, a wonderful Liverpool, wonderful competitor. Great, great three years with us. I a- thought absolutely brilliant. phenomenal brilliant. player for three years. It was. It, he was great, and uh, and I. So I, I. I. I forgive him. I forgive him a lot. You know, I. I, I see bewildered look on his face occasionally, and. Um, uh, right. You know, it was the other other thing I wanted to say, but we can we get we can we get onto this very quickly. Sorry, was the the business with um, um, uh, the refereeing in the uh, um, the Spurs game with um, what's uh, his face? Porson. Um, no, um, Craig Porson. Porson. No, Porson. no, it's not. That's not about Chelsea. I'm not talking about. No, but it. I, I don't really want to talk say, about Dalian. Not for a second, though. He's, no, I don't. No, I don't. Appalling it. I don't. Appalling. Don't want to talk about it. Appalling. Really, I know, but we know he's shit. We know he's shit. But they can they can talk about that on the Man City podcast. You're right. Fair enough. Um, right. Deli Alley's a prick. We all know that. Um, listen, what I do want to know <laughs> yeah. is who else the I, I don't know who United and City are actually playing in the in the quarterfinal. Right, That's remiss of me. United, do, Dan, do you, Bristol City got United at Bristol City. Right. And, oh, who City got? Uh, ooh, let me. I'll quickly check. I think City. Okay. Got, well, well, go on. Keep talking. I'll check now. All right, okay, okay. Well, look, City. You see, going back to going back to Jonathan's point, Jonathan would like to play Arsenal, but he thinks it'll actually be West Ham. But I would quite Leicester. like to play City in the semi-final. They've got Leicester City and, out and away. beat them. So, oh, right, okay, okay. Well, there's a, there's a, they should they should they should clearly you know, <coughs> beat beat Leicester. But wouldn't I would like to beat City in the semi-final, and then we can make sure that they don't go through the entire season unbeaten, uh, just like we did to Arsenal in the European Cup that year. So I would be very happy to beat to play City and beat them. Uh, anyway, listen, I can't go, which is very gutting for me because, as always, I've got to work on the Wednesday. So all of you lot who are going, make it loud and enjoy the night. As I said, it's a special competition as far as I'm concerned. I would love us to progress. Um, right, we need to move on because I've got a lot of stuff to plug and then we've got some uh, cracking emails for Jonathan to read out. Um, uh, the first thing is, uh, in fact, actually on that very night, on Wednesday night, uh, before the Bournemouth game, it's the last chance for you to come along and uh, bring some food uh, for the Hammersmith and Fulham Food Bank. As you know, uh, the Chelsea Supporters Trust is collecting food parcels. I shall tell you what they are in a minute uh, for the, the local food bank. Uh, and uh, the food bank gives three days of emergency food to local individuals and families in crisis. And they are looking for tinned fruit, tinned vegetables, tinned meat, long-life milk, long-life juice, rice, tinned rice pudding, stroke sponge pudding, tinned tomatoes and pasta sauce. Uh, they've currently got loads and loads and loads of baked beans, tea and pasta. So they, they, they you know, don't bring that, but bring the other stuff I mentioned. Um, and as I said, it's the last, we've had a brilliant response, by the way. Uh, people have been incredibly generous. Chelsea supporters, in my experience, are very lovely and generous people. And they've been bringing these big bags and boxes along delivering them to the CFC UK stall uh, before the match, and then we send them off to the food bank. So your last chance to do that and give generously is Wednesday evening. So I do hope you do. 
you will make uh, some very poor and impoverished families' Christmases a little better by doing so. I hope you do. Uh, and of course, obviously, if you want to get involved with the trust, the most important thing you need to know is it's free to join the trust. It costs you no money. You can be a member of the Supporters Trust. It is that easy. Um, if you do want to have a badge, though, and vote in the meetings and that kind of schmozzle, then you do need to pay five quid. But basically, you know, the first thing is get your, get get signed up to be a member of the trust. Easy to do. Just go to ChelseaSupportersTrust.com uh, and then you can uh, you can do that. It's all the, you know, just go to the join up page. It's all pretty simple. Uh, but as I said, if you do want to come to meetings and stuff and have a badge and, and vote, then you do need to pay your fiver. But it's all on the website. Of course, go and follow the trust at Chelsea S Trust. Uh, and one other thing, um, some of you will know that uh, uh, the uh, broadcasters, as always, have been late on, of reneged. The word is reneged. They have reneged on their promise to release the changes to the fixture schedule, which they're supposed to do six to eight weeks, I believe, Dan, something like yeah. that. Anyway, they're late again for the February slot. I think it's the February slots. Anyway, the bottom line is we've had enough of it. Uh, so some of our fellow uh, supporters' trusts have put together a petition, uh, which basically the aim of which is to give football fans adequate notice of fixed changes for TV. So I am encouraging all of you who are lucky enough to go to games. Actually, it doesn't matter whether you go to the games or not, because, I mean, if you're in the States and they change the fixture to half 12, you're well screwed, aren't you? Exactly. So it affects everybody, not just the people that go. Obviously, it's a, quite inconvenient for us because it changes our travel plans, but you know what I mean. Anyway, get there and sign the petition. I, I you Just watch out for the... Uh, the um, uh, sorry, I got distracted by Russell moaning about the fact that he hasn't got his supporters' trust badge. He says it's coming by boat. That may well be true. Email us, Russ, and I'll sort it out. All right. Anyway, look, you need to go and sign this petition by going to change.org forward slash p forward slash premier hyphen league hyphen give hyphen football hyphen fans hyphen adequate hyphen notice hyphen of hyphen fixture hyphen changes hyphen four hyphen TV. Check out the uh, Chelsea Sports Trust Twitter feed. The link will be on there. But I do need you to go and sign up because the more uh, signatures we get, the more we can bosh the old uh, football broadcasters on the nose very hard and hopefully make them take notice. Now, um, as always, uh, a quick plug for the Chelsea pitch owners who, of course, own the freehold of Stamford Bridge and whose aim it is to ensure that football will remain played at Stamford Bridge forever. Uh, and it's Christmas time, so it's a good gift for somebody. Um, if you want to find out how to buy a share, it's very simple. Go to info at chelseapitchowners.com or check out the uh, the website, chelseafc.com forward slash fans, forward slash Chelsea hyphen pitch hyphen owners. And of course, you can follow them at, on Twitter at pitch owners. Uh, and of course, as always, the latest CFC UK is out uh, containing, I do believe, my love letter to Chess Fabregas or an apology, depending on your perspective. Um, of course, it'll be on sale at uh, the CFC UK stall opposite the Fulham Broadway tube. Um, but if you can't actually turn up and get one in person, you can always... Uh, if you're in the States particularly, you can follow the uh, Twitter account at CFCUKUSA. And if anyone is interested in getting one, you can get it digitally by subscribing online at CFCUKNet. So there we go. I commend it to you. Almost there. Uh, the lovely True Blue Terry. Many of us know this lovely lady because she turns up at the CFCUK store before every game. She's on Twitter, True Blue Terry. Uh, she, uh, in her day job, she teaches. So uh, she's very into reading. And she's doing a readathon again this year. And she says, Dear all, uh, it's that time again when I need your help to raise money for sick children and books for my school. Thank you. Our reference is 2017-11-27-67138. 
I'm reading Doherty's Diamonds by Tim Rawls, amongst other books. Uh, but if you want to go and help her out uh, and uh, help some raise some money for some books, a very good cause in my opinion, go to www or just put in readathon, R-E-A-D-A-T-H-O-N dot secure dot forth dot com forward slash sponsor and it will take you there. And if you use the reference number again, uh, this is on our Twitter feed on Chelsea Fancast. So just check that out. And last but by no means least, a massive thank you to all of you who, and you know who you are. I won't, I won't embarrass you by uh, revealing who you are, but there are many of you who have, uh, have very kindly signed up to our Patreon page and uh, are donating a, a small sum every month uh, to keep uh, to keep me and beer. No, no, sorry, to keep Chelsea Fancast going. Um, it's very simple. If you want to become a Chelsea Fancast patron, all you have to do is go to patreon.com forward slash Chelsea Fancast. Uh, as I said, it's completely up to you. You know, no pressure at all. Donate whatever, how, as little or as much as you want uh, every month. And it just helps to contribute to the running of the shows. A bit, It's a bit like paying for the fanzine, really. That's probably the best way of putting it. You know, you pay only a pound for a fanzine. And I've worked it out, uh, according to what most people are donating, you're paying less for the fan cast. How about that? But it's easy to do, and it makes me feel great, and it makes you feel great too. So what could be wrong with that? Right, part four. We've got loads of emails to read out, including a rant about Conte and a ticking off for JK <coughs> about rumour-mongering. Real fans, real opinions. I'm Jason Cundy, and you're listening to the Chelsea Football Fancast. Up the Chelsea! Footballfancast.com Right, welcome back. I'm Stanford Chidge, and uh, you are, of course, listening to... You have been listening to the Chelsea Fancast, because we're now in part four. Uh, and, of course, I've had with me all evening the lovely uh, Joe Tweeds. Evening, Chidge. There you go. Caught him by surprise there. He's expecting to be last up, but I've changed the running order. Uh, we've also got the wonderful Dan Silver with us. Hello, hello. Always ready. Lovely stuff. And of course, we have the, the star, the real star of the show and the man who gets to uh, uh, exercise his vocal cords in part four, Mr. Jonathan King. I'm on my toes, Chidge. I was listening. I was thinking, am I going to be first? Who's he going to change it round? What's he going to do? Is he going to, is he going to toy I, with I, us? I, I am the Conte. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the Conte of podcasts, mate. I just keep you all on your toes. What we should say as well, by the way, is uh, I've just seen somebody come into Mixler who is a delightful person. It's Mr. Andrew Bailey, who lives out in Melbourne. But he's Gaffer's brother. I mean, those of you who know the Gaffer, Gar- Gar- uh, Gary Bailey, Garf- Sir Garfield Bailey, as we should call him, who's often in Mixler. But uh, Andrew, his brother's in tonight. Andrew, lovely to see you in there, mate. I hope it's nice and warm in Melbourne. It's bloody freezing here, and I'm sure that's basically the, the, uh, what they. What, he's been winding people up, saying how lovely and warm it is in, in Australia. So there we go. Anyway, we digress. Um, so Jonathan, we've got uh, a couple of emails that we had to uh, catch up on from last week, and uh, and then a couple at the end, which I think will uh, provoke some discussion. I think I fear that they will, Chidge. I fear my my dander will be truly even further up than it is. I feel right. Um, this is from Ash K. Murray. Uh, hello, Mr. Podfather. I think that's you, Chidge, actually, rather than me. I write to you this week it in is. response to one of the most satisfying podcasts you beautiful people brought to us, Blue Lot. I cannot emphasise enough how much I enjoyed the pub mashup of the Chelsea Fancast and the London is Blue podcast. Having lived in Trumpland for half a dozen years before moving to England, I could completely relate to most things Dan and the boys mentioned. 
the odd times of games, taking long lunch breaks to watch Champions League games and waking up in the early hours on every weekend. Never has a trip to the bog at 4.30am brought me as much joy as Andre Schürrle's far post drive in Arsene Wenger's 1000th game. Now to go off on a bit of a tangent. I couldn't agree more with the notion that English referees will drive talent out of this league. The ignorant Neanderthal-esque application of the letting the game flow at any cost mentality of English referees is despicable. Over this week, I found it incredible that a supposed elite referee came out and confessed to altering the playing conditions to suit his motivation for personal glory. How and why is there no legal action yet? Didn't Chelsea FC get fined for not controlling its players? This under the influence of a referee who decided in isolation that no tackle is punishable by a red card. A hack is a hack is a hack. No amount of dressing it up as we English like strong tackles is going to stop a career ending injury from happening. One of these days, someone is going to lose their career to this attitude. Moreover, since Clattenburg is now in a big paying job, what is to stop other referees from taking the same route? I wish more referees refereed the game like the one who called the Chelsea Atletico game. Non-presumptuous, on the ball, calling every moment as he saw it. Which brings me to a suggestion. Why couldn't UEFA arrange for rotational refereeing, where for a season the English league is refereed by referees from Italy and Spain by Germany and Germany by England, etc.? Is it just the language barrier that stops it from happening? This would potentially also put an end to team preferences and regional biases from influencing games and probably also add consistency across Europe. Just a thought. Finally, a shout out to my namesake, Akshay Shoudhury, for a fantastic email last week. Please write more. Up the Chelsea, Ash K. A. Mori. Very good. I think they, the answer to the um, to the, the refs thing would be uh, they should they should do it because it would be like you can talk about Daly Alley now. Yeah, I can, can't I? Yeah, yeah. yeah the ludicrousness. I can yeah. talk about the ludicrousness of of Pawson. Sending Fabregas and Cahill off in the first Burnley game of the season for um, nowhere near the same vicious type challenge of both both Kane and and Ali did. I mean, for goodness' sake, I was really surprised that um, um, the players got up. I thought the second one was a, a leg breaker, actually, um, of the Ali tackle. Well, the one on uh, on De Bruyne. Yeah, bloody hell, that was really foul, wasn't it? That was awful, awful, wasn't it? Awful. And De Bru- he's a nasty little shit, though. Deli Alley is a nasty it's little snide. shit. Everybody knows he's that. Snide. Apart from fucking referees. Snide. He yeah. is snide. Yeah. He's, but he's, he's not. Pro- Somebody really needs. Do you know what? Yeah, you say. Say cheese. Sorry, I'll, I'll, yeah, just, yeah. I'll just finish. So, what, what needs to happen? Somebody needs to really do him. You know, somebody needs to absolutely smash him in a tackle. You know, because I don't think anybody really has, and I think if if somebody does that, it'll it'll soon he'll soon change. Yeah. You know, that's what used to happen in the old days. Yeah. Little bumptious, presumptuous little gits like him, little young kids, some old pro like a Joey Jones or somebody or a Graham Roberts, they would just go straight through him and say, "Want some more, son?" And then they'll change their tune. I like this idea of anyway. Um, there of, we go. Of, a nostalgia hour. Yeah, I like little nostalgia hour from kids, me. I like the idea of of like in cricket as you have a um. Uh, a, a, a non a, a, a referee from another country come in. I think that'd be really interesting. Mm. I suspect it's not a bad I, I idea. That. that will be the future, but it, it is. I think it is a lot to do with the um, the language. But and obviously in cricket there are less. It's only international <laughs> games. But um, 
How how many English, how many players playing in the Premier League have got English as their first language? And I include some of the English players. Plus, plus the European, the refs that go to the Champions League games. I think there's a, language is not an issue. I think it's a great idea. I think they should have rotational yeah. refs. For the top great, yeah. great idea. Yeah. Mm. Good email, Akshay. Yeah, well done, Akshay. Yeah, terrific. Um, second one, Marvin Dent. So, to Chidge and the boys, I've decided to finally email in after a year of listening to this wonderful podcast. Thank you, Marvin. It's hard to summarise everything in one email, but I guess I'll stay on the topic of how I found the pod and also Chelsea. Firstly, I don't want to give Jonathan so much to read, though I already um, read through. I already feel bad. But I'd like to say firstly in brief how I found the pod. One day I randomly typed Chelsea onto my iPhone during a drab day at work. I discovered the London is Blue podcast, a great bunch of positive guys from the USA, and I was hooked. A few months later, I remember being in a Facebook group called the Chelsea Football Fancast. I believe my first episode may have been after the Liverpool loss last season, and I heard this passionate man defending Gary Cahill. Instantly, I felt proud of this fan base, accompanied by a bunch of old school Chelsea fans who seemed to really feel the club. I was instantly hooked and even more so delighted when it was a long day at work hated my job at that time, and I saw that it was two hours long. Christmas had come early. I've listened to every episode since, and it makes me feel even closer to the club of my heart and soul. So thank you to Chidge and the boys. Now, I love that. Never mind the quality, feel the length. But I love that, but it's that thing I've been going on about. I love it, the fact that we can we can create that environment for them to actually think oh, I'm getting access to the club. Yeah, I think it's too brilliant, right. absolutely brilliant. Now, in 1993, I was a young boy, probably about seven or eight years old. I remember the looming trip of my first football game my dad took me to. I can't say I knew what to expect. I'd known and watched football before that, but yet to truly be aligned, although I did know I yet to be truly aligned, although I did know I hated Man U. It was Chelsea versus Spurs, and I believe it was 93 or 94 when we won 4-3, a game I noticed people consider very highly even today. I remember a young hero named Mark Steen, who my dad told me was a very good player. I was hooked the second I walked up the steps and saw the pitch, and that was it. I was a Chelsea fan. I guess I kind of crossed the bridge of JCL and old school, right? I just got lucky in the fact we won the FA Cup a few years later and started to grow as a club. When we won the FA Cup, it was a dream come true to see it. I couldn't believe it. Year after year, watching that epic five-hour build-up was just that little bit more magical when it was your team. Sometimes you, don't, you, you just know when you're going to win, right? I felt it in 2012. I didn't in 2008. On that note, the first league title... Wow. I honestly didn't think it possible. One distinctive moment was when I took a trip with some friends in London and I saw a 3-1 scoreline on the screen. I remember there was a goal from Robin, not totally clear, and just thought, when will this end? Who was to know? It still hasn't. Winning the title was equally wonderful and I got used to winning and felt smug that all those Man U fans and Liverpool, etc. didn't get it this way. To quote the rapper Drake, started from the bottom, now we're here. It feels a little bit more rewarding knowing you chose your team before they were on top of the world. That's not to take anything away from any new fan. Every fan deserves the same love as I was shown when I first came. I was unable to afford tickets back then, though, and I hadn't been to a game for over 10 years. The game I chose was Chelsea versus Sunderland. I was so excited to go again. How lucky was I? 7-2, wasn't it? I was on cloud nine. 
There are many defining moments where I felt love and heartbreak. The first FA Cup final I saw us win in 1997, the Cup Winners' Cup when I was on holiday, that amazing Mark Hughes goal against Vicenza. Oh, losing to Tromso and actually believing we would go out. I was young, OK. The new Wembley victory over United when I watched it with five smug United fans bragging about how they'd easily win on penalties. Then Didier, my favourite of all time, shut them up. The worst feeling, easily, that dreaded night in Moscow. I'm sad to admit I cried that night and I couldn't believe anything could feel that bad. It took a long time to get over that. It hurt. Whereas the Barcelona semi just made me angry. However, it was all worth it in 2012. I couldn't contain myself when I watched the penalties with my dad. After matters miss, like you all differently did, I feared it was done. And after three penalties scored from Bayern, it was hard to see the miracle. And up steps Olich, and something went off in my head. I told my dad, he'll miss, he's shit. And I was right. Although when my hero of football stepped up to win it for us, I honestly felt like that walk would never end. When it hit the net, it was the greatest moment of my life. That's how much Chelsea means to me. And nothing has come close. I remember sitting in my room, tears in my eyes, watching the celebrations, knowing I'd seen my club do it. Sometimes you just thought it wasn't to be. I annoy every new girlfriend I get with the comment, nothing has ever compared to that night in 2012. And it probably never will. And that, my friend, is why I will probably remain single for my lifetime. I hope you enjoy my email. I also hope I'll get to sit next to Chidge and some of the boys at a game sometime soon. Maybe when we play PSG next year, right? Although it could be Barca again. Very good. Good mail. Well, he got that right. He did. He did. Good old Marvin. Excellent, excellent mail. Terrific. Marv's a Marv's a lovely chap actually. Dan and I have met Marv in the uh, in the cock, I do believe. Yeah, yeah, really lovely, lovely guy. Yeah, Mm. and, and quite resonates a lot with me because I think his his era is very similar to mine because I started getting about 83 as well so not too far behind but everything he says totally resonates with me it's a great email good stuff mm. totally right no, we do love Marv and thank you Marv for uh, waiting a week because I know we were going to read that last week but uh, it was a busy 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 night but uh, lovely for sending it in and thank you now this is from Lionel hi Chidge and the boys and the girl who likes <clears> balls <throat> My name is Lionel. I live in Copenhagen and I was born in Zimbabwe. I've written in before and promised to try and make it shorter this time. All right. I want to get real about Antonio Conte. I'll start by saying I think he did amazingly last year, taking us to the title and a run to the cup final. I think we're in a good position at the moment. Third behind the two Manchester teams. Doesn't feel great, but he's nothing to be mad at with the way that City are playing and the fact United have the Mourinho second season factor thing going. I do, however, think we aren't quite right and we're not where we could be. And I think that's Conte's fault. First of all, what the fuck was all of that in the summer? He just expected us to be able to sign Bonucci, Bonucci, Sandro, Lukaku and Oxlade-Chamberlain as if there were no other teams out there that thought they were any good or that the players themselves have any say about which club they play for. He decided Matic was no longer required, then shits on the club for getting a good deal for him. I know it's not ideal to sell our rivals, but once Conti says I don't need him, what's the club supposed to do? Let him walk out the door for free? He decides Costa's out and burns that bridge before we have a buyer for him or a replacement. The club breaks its transfer record to to San Morata and he complains that he hasn't been backed in the transfer market. I mean, what the actual fuck? 
if JK's source is right, <laughs> he said he was leaving. And then he changed his mind and signed an agreement for a pay rise, but not an extension. And he hasn't done anything really to squash the stories that he's off after this season. So maybe he has to take some of the responsibility for the current state of the team. At the moment, Costa could still be playing for us. William and Pedro are struggling to get games. And when they do, surprise, surprise, they score goals and win games. David Luiz was in the team of the season last season, but he's no longer needed because, heaven forbid, he may have disagreed with the manager. I wasn't surprised to hear you guys mention there's a feeling that the Brazilian players think that Conte's against them due to the Costa thing. I've been thinking that for a while. Conte's official position is head coach, a position I assume he's fine with as he signed that contract in the summer. His job is to prepare the players he has available to try and win games. Why does he seem to be alienating players, stirring things up with the board and generally moaning, especially if he's off in the summer? The man has a big ego and maybe has a right to have one. But you have to get to a point as a manager where you aren't having clashes of egos with the players. You need to be above that. And I don't think he is. From a fan's point of view, long gone are the days where you back the manager over the players. It's the players that stick around longer than the manager. And as Chelsea fans, we should know that better than anyone. I backed Mourinho whilst De Bruyne, Lukaku and Salah left the club and Falcao and Pete Pato got their five minutes as Chelsea players. Who benefited from that, I wonder? Now, I worry that we could be seeing the same thing happen again with Louise and William in support of a manager I don't think is committed to Chelsea in the longer in the long term. I know you guys love him. I know that besides the fat Spanish waiter, you usually back the managers. But I think that when it comes to Conte, it could be a mistake. Think where we could be now if we'd kept Costa on side. And are we really ready to let players go? Because the manager that may have one foot out of the door decides if you don't agree with him, you're done. I think we need to be a bit more loyal to the players that have been epic for us over the last few years. Just because we have players like Christensen and Bakayako doesn't mean we should be in such a hurry to turf the others out. What do you guys think? Keep up the good work and up the chills, Lionel in Copenhagen. Well, there we JK, I've got to say, I mean, <clears throat> that was that was an epic performance by you. Uh, are you sure you didn't write that email? <laughs> yes, yes, I... Because it sounded like you'd practised it. Uh, it was very good. Thank you. Mate, I don't know where to start with that, so I'm going to ask Joe what he thinks of it first. I, I'm still reeling from, uh, from maybe a lifelong ambition to hear Jonathan Kidd Quote a Drake lyric, so I'm still uh, I'm still reeling from Jonathan Bar King's Drake crossover. Bar's been set very low. Exactly, yeah. Um, yes, yes. I suppose bringing it slightly back onto the, uh, onto the topic here, but uh, I, I think this is this is potentially quite a you know you I don't want to sort of take political positions, but this is kind of like the very far right of the of kind of the Chelsea fan spectrum, which is you know Conte is. This sort of uh, you know, vilified figure, or whatever that, that, that this uh, has been. Yeah, there, there's, I think there's some elements of truth in there. Personally, I, I'm not hugely confident that that, that, uh, that Conte is going to be here next season. Um, I think you know, and realistically, the AC Milan job. I think they've hired Gattuso till the end of the season. I think that you know they've they've almost bought players um, who who would fit very well into a Conte system. So you know, there, there are a few things that I, I think there, but uh, you know, I think it's uh, it, it's. Just yeah, a huge, huge rant at, at Conte. Um, 
I'm, yeah, I, I'm still a bit, bit shocked at that, to be honest, Chidge. It was a pretty uh, pretty <laughs> intense email um, for, for, for the fan cast. But no, I, mean, I think he makes some valid points. You know, I think we've, we've, we've maybe backed Mourinho, particularly in his second stint, because of what he achieved first time round. And, and, you know, De Bruyne, Lukaku, Salah, etc. left the club, particularly after Mourinho quite famously said that he could judge talent in 10 minutes. Well, you know, that's about, what, 300, 400 million pounds worth of players left the club. In that case, um, yeah, I know. I mean, I, I take a bit more of a middle ground. You know, I, I think there are um, some things that Conte needs to work on. I, again, I'm, I'm not hugely, uh, you know, kind of. I, I, I don't believe he's he's probably going to be here beyond the summer. But you know, I think kind of painting him as kind of the source of for all that's wrong with the club. You know, and again, maybe potentially after winning the league title, maybe he was expecting a little bit more of a. Uh, a backing or a bit more of a bang in, in the beginning of the transfer window to maybe really solidify himself. I think again we did some quite late, some quite late business. Um, and again, you know, again we we have spent a lot of money, but we have sold a lot of quality to do that. So, you know, it's uh, I, I can see it from Quante's perspective from that side. But I mean, it's uh, yeah. I mean, and, and to be fair, I, I don't know Lionel from uh, from Copenhagen, but I might have to uh, take him for a beer because that is <laughs> fantastic. So, yeah. I think he deserves one after that. Yes. He, he came off on a very, very long run then, didn't he, Dan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think I think the Costa situation, I think Costa made his bed back in the middle of last season. He wanted to go to China. Mm. I think it's, you know, potentially the, the club actually backing the manager saying, right, you decide, you know, if you want him, he's gone. You know, perhaps he could have handled it better, granted, but it's, it's his decision. And, you know, we're not doing that badly this season. It's just bloody City with 18 straight wins. We're only five points worse off. We've got eight out of ten games. It's not all bad. We've got some great players. You know, it's kind of it's almost like a like a FIFA manager letter to an extent. You know, uh, bit, harsh, bit harsh, harsh, maybe a bit harsh, harsh. But you know, listen, you basically made you made some good points, but <laughs> I don't know, not not a lot I personally agree with in, in his email. I think Costa made it. Well, well, I mean, I'm just whacking the microphone. Sorry, chap. Um, well, I mean, look, listen, the bottom line is the whole the whole football is, you know, like everything, but particularly football, I think, is about Absolutely, opinions. yeah. I think the one thing I would say to Lionel, yeah, I mean, the one thing I would say to Lionel is that, you know, don't don't believe everything you read in the press or what you hear. You know, sometimes you just have to kind of, you know, go on your own gut hunch. And Well, maybe that is your gut hunch, Lionel, I don't know. But, I mean, the cost of thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, look, I'm a man of a certain age. I grew up when football was very, very different. In my day, um, you idolised the players, but you, you know, it was it was very much about the manager. The manager ruled the roost, and uh, you know, if if you've got a bad apple in the team, no matter how good they are, then you get them out. And uh, I can understand why why Conte got rid of Costa because he was trouble, and he wanted to go. You know. I think that I think if, if you can criticise Conte for one thing, I think that a, I think he is a bit hot-headed. You know, it's 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 well known that he's he's a passionate guy and and he can be quite hot-tempered about things. And therefore, perhaps in hindsight, he may, may well have not got Costa out the door. You know, and made sure that we made a, the right business decision there. But of course, what you don't know, Lionel, is what was going on with the club. You know, that's the sad, that's the difficult thing I think that we all have as supporters. You know, none of us know really what's going on. We don't know how, you know, when we when we sit there and we see who he plays week in, week out, we go, Well, why is he playing him? Well, we don't know what, what they look like in training. Conte knows. And when we get these transfer deals through or not through, we don't know what the discussions in the boardroom with the manager are. And we're just cut out of that loop. And of course that 
really just just fuels our our own speculation about what's going on and ultimately we really really don't know um and just my final point on it really and I, I kind of echoed Dan on this about the fact that you know we are doing okay this this season City are having an extraordinary one um but uh, I, I think that the, the bigger dichotomy that Chelsea have at the moment is that they keep hiring managers, some of the best managers in the world, uh, on the pretext that they have to win stuff. But I think that Chelsea's business model has changed massively over the last few years and they are no longer prepared to fund uh, the transfers that these top managers want. They're, we're now having to cut up for whatever reason, possibly the new stadium, possibly because of a... Uh, you know, a power battle between the managers and the board, but they're not given the resources that they need. And I think if you are a, a manager who's been sold a promise and it's not being delivered, you're going to get the hump. And I think the other thing is, is that I think the club generally over the last 10, 15 years, because of its management recruitment policy, you know, managers get burned really quickly. You know, if if you don't win everything, you know, the next year, then you're out and they get somebody else. So that, 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 you know, managers will know that. That means they'll either not come to the club or they'll come to the club, expect everything quickly, knowing that they're going to last only a year or two. And the corollary of that is that that gives the players more power. And, I mean, your point about the players stay forever, I'll tell you what, Lionel, they're not staying out of loyalty. You know, they know they're onto a good thing and they know they know that they will probably last longer than the manager because that's been the case. I don't have an answer to that and I don't know what's right or wrong. I think I'm simply stating what I see. But ultimately, uh, the only people who uh, are at the club forever are the supporters. And I think they've always been the most important thing in the club. And I think they'll remain that. I love the players when they're playing for us. I love the managers when they're managing us. But, you know, I'm not naive to think that they love us back quite as much as we love them and that they'll stay as long as we will. That's all i got to say about that. I, Jonathan, I, anything on that? I think that? the timing is, is, uh, is wrong for us to be competing on the same level as, uh, as City and other and other teams, because one of the discussions that was being had when I was on this fans forum thing was that how they're attempting to make make the marketing revenue um, on a par with United, and at the moment they're not anywhere near it. So they're stepping up their um, their uh, global uh, enterprises, um, and I think the the size of the ground will contribute to that as well. So it's almost as if they're having a few years off before they completely um, go for the same calibre of players that City went for. Um, and in a sense, you've got to take your hat off to City. I know that they've been, they're, uh, they're funded by a country, really. They're, they're bankrolled by Saudi. But, um, I wonder, I wonder um, what you were going to say yeah, then. But, um, uh, by a fiefdom. Did you think I was going to say that? Um, but no, you didn't. Something you thought like I was going to say something else. And, uh, um, and uh, it, last season, he was, you know, it, what Guardiola was Mr. Angry, which he shouldn't have been because he, knowing what he's done this year with the players, he's actually created a one. It's a wonderful creation. And you can see, actually see the, uh, the what he brings to it. I mean, I oh, know it's easier when you've got these wonderful players, but it's a way of playing that is uh, absolutely superb. And the thing to also to remember is that um, uh, I agree with Dan is that we've done really well. Um, uh, and United, mm. United are only... I think of the only four points off um, where they were every time they won the title. And it's just because City have had such an outstanding season. And we've won eight out of the last ten. And I think we should have won um, the, the game. We should have been. We should have almost done the same record um, as City have done. We should have kept winning because we're, we're playing that well. And we're still getting, the, we're getting results when we're not playing that well, which is the sign of a decent side. 
but but the the other thing to say is yeah, that but... is that is that the uh, the other theory that I was told about my mate who knows Bruce Buck is that one of the reasons that the the transfer um, window I think we talked about it last week the transfer window it wasn't um, handled very well was because he was. Um, vacillating between saying at the time at the end of last season he wanted to go so they weren't didn't want to say right you can have those players that we've uh, that you've you've suggested so um it, it, there is an element of truth i've been told in in um lionel's in lionel's email that he he is a he is a hothead and he changes his mind a lot yeah but that may that may be true that may be true and he may be a hothead but i, I as a manager of this club, I love him. I think no, he's, no, he's great. Done one of, I, I love agree. him to stay forever. I agree. I agree. Hang, hang yeah. on. Hang, yeah, hang on. Just let, let, let me just finish. Yeah. Uh, but I know I'm not naive enough to think that that's that's going to happen because of the pattern that we've seen. I think the the salient point in in what your mate has revealed and what you've said kind of proves my point. In the old days, the managers ran the club. They ran everything. Yeah. They were the most powerful and important person in the club. And and certainly in Chelsea over the last 10, 15 years, that has patently not been the case. Just ju- it, it's it's clearly Roman. He Hang on, Dan. It's clearly Roman. He owns the club and he operates it through the board. That's where the power in this club yeah, lies, yeah. not with the managers yeah, yeah. or the players, all of whom are expendable. Yeah. Dan. Yeah, I was going to say, um, JT's on um, TV tonight, on the live game, and he apparently said that he believes that Conte's going to be there for the long term. He says, I think it seems a long... No, let's hope so. Uh, I think it seems a long-term manager, having worked with him, the way he deals with me and other players, he's first class. I think the club seems a long-term manager. Um, blah, blah, blah. I think they'll stick with him. Well, but he's, he's... well here's, the, here's the thing. You know, yeah. I, I would like Conte to stay for as long as possible. I mean, would you would you all agree with that? Or yeah. now Maybe I should ask the question in a different way. Do you think Conte will stay for a long time or not, Dan? Long-term being more than three years? No. No, yeah. exactly. I think more than three years. Yeah, we can call that long term. Yeah. So that's a no from you, Jonathan. No, I think he'll be away in the summer. Yeah, Joe. Uh, no, I, I think he'll uh, potentially go in the summer. Yeah, and I and I've got to be honest. I I have a horrible feeling that that might be true. I don't know if it necessarily will be this summer that he goes, but I don't see him staying longer than three or four years. I really don't, because that's not what happens these days. It's not the kind of club we are. Anyway, we need to move on, because time is running on, and we've still got this email. Who, who wants to hear an email having a dig at Jonathan? Hands up. Me, Red me, by... me, 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 I do. I do. Hands shot up. Hands shot up on Mixler there. Red by Jonathan. Uh, but actually, it links very, very well. It links very well with the last email, Jonathan, I think. It doesn't does, it? it does. Can I just make one more point? Ancelotti has apparently is staying in you England. Can at the moment no he's just staying in his house in London over Christmas exactly it's not exactly. Story. it's a non-story yeah but he may he may then become Arsenal manager ooh I'm, I'm just I'm just um, spreading a scurrilous rumour okay you wicked that, man that, that links into this next one from Sid hi y'all we're keeping our powder dry yeah. Jonathan hi y'all he says hi y'all because he's that kind of guy Sid <laughs> Sid <laughs> I wish Jonathan Kidd would resist the temp- Sid Vicious Sid Vicious Sid Horrid I wish Jonathan Kidd would resist the temptation to spread scurrilous rumours. First, it was the nonsense about Louise believing that Conte hates Brazilians. Ooh. And now it's Conte resigning and then changing his mind in the summer. The worst and most common kind of rumour is the one that starts with, I know a guy who knows a guy. Yeah, yeah, and who knows his dog. That's right, that's right, it was a dog. We hear it all the time in the overheated world of college gridiron football in the US South. 
And that's how Jonathan's rumours start. Listen, it's I don't I've never played gridiron football, so I don't know what you're talking about. Listen, it's fine if you're doing that in the pub with a few of your mates. I don't go to the pub. I don't go to the pub at all, Sid. I never go. I'm not. Pub That's pattern. why he does it on the show. That's why I do it on the show. Um, uh, um, uh, I've lost my place now. Um, um, it's yeah, yeah. But when you're on a widely listened to podcast that reaches around the world, I think you have a duty to be a bit more responsible. Ooh, ooh, my evil twin hopes that... You sound like Bruce Barton. <laughs> yes, it was a good impression. My evil twin... My, my evil twin hopes... My evil twin hopes that Jonathan has to read this aloud on the fan cast. No, Sid, Sid, I, <laughs> you don't need an evil twin to think that. It could be you. But that sort of thinking is why he's my evil twin. If you'd rather just slip my little rant to him off the air, fine by me. Thanks for letting me vent. All the best... Sid. Now, Sid, Sid, when everything that I've said is proven <laughs> to be correct, Sid, Sid, I want to see an apology. I want to see you, Sid. Come on, come on and say, uh, Jonathan Kidd, I apologise. I apologise for making those suggestions to you. Stupid right, is as stupid as. <laughs> all right, good, good. You've got all Jeff Sessions, man. What's going on? I did first fucking there. Uh, well, okay, I, 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 I have to say, I, I, I took, uh, I took the email from Sid uh, with the grave seriousness with which it deserves, and very rarely for me, because people who email us will probably know that I never reply to your emails. Very rarely, I just read them on the show and do it that way. But I actually felt compelled to comply uh, or to reply to Sid's email, and the point that I made was that. Um, I can't do anything about Jonathan's scurrilous rumours. Uh, he is a law unto himself. And if you've listened to this show long enough, which I'm sure you have, you'll know that he is, uh, he is, he is outside of my control. I, I, you know, there have been occasions, in fact, when I've had to mute everybody's mic <laughs> uh, just to shut Jonathan up. So what hope have I got of stopping him from spreading scurrilous rumours and therefore destroying any credibility that this show has after 10 years of ruining everything really so there we go but no i think that's uh, to be fair you know fair enough I, I thought fair enough to sid to, to to say that he's well entitled to that opinion i agree um, i agree but there you go i i you know it's a, dem- I mean, it's a democracy know, i can't i can't cl- i can't claim to know the veracity of well it is it's not a chichocracy un- unlike what people think but uh you know, I mean, it's a very interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, actually, just just taking it on on a serious point. I mean, you know, one of the uh, um, issues that we have in the modern age, mainly thanks to social media, is that I mean, in the serious world, the, not the football world or even the the fan podcast world, uh, you know, people make up stories all the time, which then get retweeted, and and then you know, a lot of the uh, the the more, shall we say, dubious echelons of the press make it to a real story and it causes real trouble i mean we've seen that with elections here and in the states and everywhere else you know so there is a serious side to this but i mean this is football i mean you're right in one sense sid you know it's what we do in the pub all of the time but the corollary of that is that this is not radio four or or, or a respected sports broadcaster where we have to fact check this is actually the embodiment and and the prop the, the the reason for this show is it takes what we do in the pub to the airwaves. So I think by that, that that's how I would justify us talking absolute nonsense at times. Yes. And if Jonathan has got a few rumours he wants to discuss, then then fair enough, do it. I mean, I think what I'm really saying, Sid, is I, I'm, 
I'm very flattered that you you would take us and what we say so seriously that you think that it might reduce our credibility by by rumour mongering. I don't think we're rumour mongering. I think we're doing exactly as you said. We're just discussing the kind of thing that we would in the pub. But I wouldn't take us or the rumours too seriously. I really wouldn't. Uh, we don't deserve that, <laughs> do we? <laughs> I'm right, Chidge. I'm right. <laughs> well, we shall see. The proof will be in the pudding. But, of course, Jonathan, what I would like to know is if if you are demanding of Sid an apology... Yes. Uh, um, if you are proved right, what is your forfeit when you are proved wrong? Uh, I will take my trousers off while doing the podcast. Well, you do that every oh, week. Chidge, That's hardly chidge. a forfeit. Don't tell everybody. Oh. I think I think Sid should Sid should write back this week and and come up with a suitable forfeit <laughs> for Jonathan should he be proved wrong. How does that sound? Okay. Forever democratic. There we go. Uh, right, that's no more emails this week. That was the, we, we we saved the best till last in a sense. Um, but uh, as you know, we love we absolutely love receiving them, good, bad, or indifferent. <laughs> having a rant, talking nonsense, slagging us off. We welcome them all. We really, really do because that's the whole point. That is the point of this show. It's not anodyne. It's not uh, you know sterile. It's not clinical. We'll we'll put it all in. That's what it's about. Uh, and if you want to do that, you've got to send them to chelseafancast at gmail.com and you need to do it before a Monday. OK, right. Sadly, uh, that's all we've got time for this week. Uh, now, of course, as you probably noticed, next Monday is Christmas Day. How bloody inconvenient of the calendar. Don't they know it's the Chelsea Fancast on a Monday night? God damn it. Anyway, uh, as a result, we're going to be back uh, once we've stuffed our stupid little faces with uh, mince pies, Christmas pudding, turkey and you, you name it. Uh, we will be back on Thursday, December the 28th at 7 o'clock, and uh, I will be joined by Jonathan, of course. Ooh. And I do believe we will have the lovely Alex Churchill in the house, the girl who likes balls, Ooh. and hopefully Mark Worrell. Although Mark revealed to me on the stall uh, on Saturday that he is not going to be in London. He might be in the stick somewhere. He's a bit worried about whether he'll have a signal or not. So it might, it might just be me, Jonathan, and Alex, or I might just be... Uh, sending a quick text to Joe saying, Joe, Joe, are you near a Wi-Fi connection? I should be, yeah. We shall see. I, I, uh, anyway, I hope... Sub. Yeah, you reckon... You can play Super Sub. Well, I'm, I'm not joking, actually, because Marco's... He looked, he said, bloody hell, mate, am I on the show next week? Because I'm going to be stuck in the back of beyond. I don't even I don't even know if they've got Wi-Fi there. So I'm, I'm quite serious. So I'm, I'll let you know, mate. But anyway, the plan is for me, Jonathan Alex and, and Mark Worrell, and we'll be reporting back on the Bournemouth, Everton and Brighton matches... As I said, provided we have recovered from too much Christmas pudding. Uh, now, uh, the eagle-eyed among you will have noticed the superb efforts of the wonderful Gion Carbis, who has been up in our game on the Chelsea Fancast website. Uh, I'm particularly delighted that he upset somebody on uh, Twitter today and who, who said that we should shut the website down because it's just clickbait. Uh, I have not done that. I have muted you. Uh, anyway, we now have regular content going up during the week, so make sure you give it a look at ChelseaFanCast.com and everything we write gets posted on Twitter and our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash ChelseaFanCast. So there you go. Now, uh, you can follow us, as I said, at ChelseaFanCast, me at Stanford Chidge, Jonathan at Jonathan Kidd, Dan at DanSilve73, and the wonderful Joe at Joe Tweedy. Uh, so there we go. And uh, I know he's in here, so a very quick thank you to Blue Up North, who has now got his own logon page, the Chelsea Fancast website, so you can get his stuff quicker than uh, I, I usually put it up. Thank God for that. So there we go. Now, uh, on behalf of all of us, uh, I'd like to wish uh, all of our listeners a very, very, very Merry Christmas, wherever you may be, and thanks for all of your tremendous support this year. Uh, but of course, I'd love to wish Jonathan, Joe, and Dan a very happy Christmas. I hope you have a cracking time, guys, and thank you for all yeah. your support this right, year. Right, 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 right back at you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, brilliant. 
right back at you right back at you no it's been great fun tonight i thoroughly enjoyed it as always um please enjoy your christmas i'm sure you will and uh, you out there enjoy it too and thanks for listening see you next time until then keep it blue keep it carefree and keep it shells It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNuggets share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.